Hey everybody, this is Brett. And this is Zay. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. 2022 edition. No rules. Everybody. Welcome to the Gilded Films Podcast, where you may be wondering, why is Zay leading? Well, we've had a change of government here at Gilded Films, and we decided I was best suit- suited to take over as Brett's co-host. So here I am. Hello, I am Zay, hailing from the corn state of Indiana, and here we have Brett. Hello, hello. And we will not be mentioning that other person for the rest of the podcast, so don't be asking where he is, because legally, we can't talk about it. But we also have someone else here. We have Toby. Hello. Usual friend of the podcast. I'm glad to be here. And today we are going to be talking about the films of 2022. Our favorites are not so favorites. And I'm sure we'll have a million tangents in between. What are you doing? Hi. What are you sitting over here for? <laughs> I don't... What's... What the... <laughs> Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Hold up! Hold got... up! You said that this was canceled. <laughs> well, Brett said this was... Ca- you told me this was canceled. This is awkward. This we is found awkward. funding, Christian! Yeah, we found funding! Surprise! Hold up! What what is this? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let me get my notes. Hold on. Wait a second. Okay. So my favorite film of eighty seven is that what we're doing? Wait. Two thousand and three. Okay. So I guess I'll start. Um, sea biscuit. It's about a horror. See, this is part of the reason that we had to we had to make this change. I mean, it's the unpreparedness. It's the the demands the the financial demands i mean we just can't keep up you know i i only wanted the red m&ms i didn't <laughs> want the green i didn't want the purple okay is it and so i'm getting <laughs> off my own show i've created you're five hours late we already recorded two episodes this is why steve jobs died <laughs> So he died. The company kicked him out. Well, guess what, friends? I'm here. I don't know how far you've gotten, but hey, everybody, this is Christian. <laughs> Intro. Intro. And and this is Brett again. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit. You know what? I'm just gonna sit here now. If you want me to talk, say my name. Go. Say my name. Say my name. <laughs> And now, see, gonna get slapped with a lawsuit. At least I know where to end a song. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we'll let you back on for this one. Well, thank you. But I'm just gonna sit here now. (laughs) Pull up my list of something. What are we even doing? What are we doing? You'll figure it out as we go along. Fine, go ahead. Well, as Zay mentioned before, Christian... Uh, rudely interrupted we are talking about the year 2022 <laughs> uh, best and worst and so don't worry we, we will count down our top 10 of the year 
But we are going to start things off by thinking about the movies that maybe didn't impact us in the way we would like them to, that we didn't like so much. Um, we're going to first go through our bottom five of 2022, just one by one first. And so if it works for y'all, I'm going to go ahead and jump in with my five and we can go from there. Sounds good. All right. So uh, my number five worst movie of the year is Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, You know, our expectations for you were low, but holy shit. Um, (laughs) Number four is Halloween Ends. I am one of the few that kind of liked Halloween Kills. I thought Halloween Ends was, yeah, borderline unwatchable. Um, Number three. (laughs) What was that? I said disagree, but carry on. Fair, fair. Uh, Number three is Pinocchio, not the Guillermo del Toro version, the Disney version. Um, That was horrendous. Number two, and my my top two here are even, there's an even bigger gap here. My number two is Blonde. I, yeah, every bit of hate that that movie is receiving, I think is well earned. I think it's just completely awful, exploitative crap. And number one worst movie of the year is The Whale. A movie that I honestly, I didn't expect to like it, but I was going to give it a chance and it blew that chance pretty early and sustained the awfulness all the way through. So The Whale would not recommend. That's my bottom five. Am I next? You're next. Take us away. Okay, cool. Because we have the exact same bottom three (laughs) of Disney's Pinocchio, Blonde, and The Whale. All equally horrendous in their own special way. (laughs) Yes. Um, then, okay, so my number four is actually Purple Hearts, which is a wild-ass movie on Netflix, which, I say wild-ass, but I'm like, I got bored after the first 30 minutes, so it was not worth it. Look up the the synopsis of it, though, it's an insane movie to exist. Um, and then number five, I was between Jurassic Park and Thor Love and Thunder. Jurassic Park from 1993. You know which one I meant. This is why you're kicked off. <laughs> but yeah, Thor Love and Thunder just I ugh. Yeah. Ugh. It's pretty bad. That movie actually it gets worse the more I think about it, to be honest. So <laughs> Toby. Um, so the first one I want to mention is um that horror movie They Them. I mean, oh, I, just, I don't even remember that well, but I just remember being like, thinking like the whole time, like, what is happening? I don't understand the point of this. Um, a Netflix movie called The Gray Man, which is another one of those Anthony and Joe Russo movies didn't really make an impact. Uh, Crimes of the Future, I didn't really enjoy that one. Or um, Men, there was, there was some sequences in that just, yeah. No thanks. And then lastly, I think my worst is the you two mentioned it, the Pinocchio remake. I mean, you're just taking all the heart out of a movie <laughs> and remaking it to make a well, they didn't even make money from it, so there's like literally no point to it. <laughs> At all. <laughs> True. This completely did not understand the point of the original, but and that's it. That's why. <clears throat> honorable mention 
to uh, the DC, wait, JK, it's not all DC, but DC and Marvel Universe for uh, Black Adam and Morbius, as they are two terrible, terrible movies. So my bottom five, number five is a movie called White Noise, which for the life of me, I didn't get. If you got it, you're just pretentious. So <laughs> um, Firestarter at number four, the remake. I'm sorry. I personally have no offense to the little kid getting nominated for a Razzie. So um, Deep Deep Water at number three, the Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas train wreck. Supposed to be the return for Adrian Lyne after 20 years and just go back into retirement, I guess. Um, a little movie that nobody literally ever heard of called We're All Going to the World's Fair. Um, labeled as a horror movie, not scary in the least. There's no subliminal messaging behind it, except somebody just got bored and put video on. And my number one is uh, Men, a movie that the second the credits rolled, I thought to myself, I feel like I need to walk out, even though this movie's already over. So, and the only way I could describe it to others was a man gives birth to himself. So there's five that I absolutely thought were the worst. I'm bluntly honest. Enjoy. All nope. right. Awesome. Well, we got a collection there. Uh, I'm, as always, I'm really interested to see if any of those appear on anybody's best of list. I, I think there's a few contenders there. So at least we won't get any hate mail about the little Razzie's comment because, in all honesty, yeah, performer's a performer. <laughs> I didn't see men. Oh, you didn't. No, I, I didn't hear. Okay. I didn't hear a yeah. I didn't hear a single person think it was better than okay. So I was just like, eh, if I watch it one day, I'll watch it one day. It seems like your kind of movie. I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. I thought it was okay. I I completely understand why you two put it on your list because it's. It I don't know. Bad. It was weird. But... Yes. Awesome. Well. That leads us right into the good stuff, which is our top 10 of the year. Because I'm starting us off, and my number 10 is a film called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Ah, uh, a small movie with a giant heart. There we go. A we... small film with a giant heart. Whatever. <laughs> gives the performance of the year. <laughs> All right. With a giant heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I was really hoping we we're just going to say it all together, but I guess not. Maybe we should have coordinated it. Then. <laughs> well, that that one's going to appear on four lists, which is awesome. So I will say my thoughts on that one, and Zay, feel free to take us away with your number ten. My number ten. I'm going to start with a poem. Um, I'm a hot girl, pop girl, rich girl. I'm a bitch girl, fast girl, catch me if you can, girl. You a swerve girl. Who the fuck are you, girl? Because my number 10 is bodies, bodies, bodies. Oh, I thought it was Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Helena Rain. Uh, it was a really nice summer horror flick. Uh, nice, um, kind of an homage, but also kind of subversive of like the slasher genre of just people trying to figure out 
who the killer is in this movie and it just has a very uh unique flavor to it it's just a bunch of teenagers who decide they're gonna stay in uh, kind of a mansion for the weekend because there's gonna be a big storm and they're just like let's just party here and i don't know it's like a teenager like there's gonna be like some people talking behind each other's backs there's like who the uh, romance with who who actually doesn't like who um what's his name is in there and he's like 40 years old with <laughs> all these teenagers um and the horror elements aren't strong really it's there but it's really i think it's just a hilarious movie i i was laughing so hard and it's just it felt like a movie that was very interested in how gen z actually talks because there's so many things those kids were saying in that movie where i'm like i have seen some weird ass teenagers on the internet just spout <laughs> these sentences without any real meaning behind them um and yeah i just think it was just a hilarious movie just happened to have a lot of gore in it and i had a good time um yeah it was fine I mean, in retrospect, I think the <clears throat> reveal at the end is like pretty not what you would expect. And it's kind of hilarious, like you said. Um, but I mean, if you're going into it, like you're expecting something like more of a, I was expecting us more of a straight on slasher. I don't know, but it wasn't really that. I mean, it is good. It is decent for what it is, though. So Yeah, before I saw it, um, I had some friends tell me that they liked it until the ending and they thought the ending was horrible and the ending was my favorite part. So um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed how it all closed up and so I need to watch again. Cause I, yeah, I was also kind of mild on it when I first saw it, but it does have its moments for sure. And the cast is awesome. So. All right. Toby, let's hear your number 10. Oh, Oh, so for, my number 10, I just wanted to include um, a documentary. Um, it's called Jennifer Lopez Halftime. It's a Netflix documentary. Um, I wanted to include it because, um, I don't know, I just found it really like an interesting, it follows J-Lo as she's like getting ready for to do her halftime show at the Super Bowl. Um, but at that time, she was also going through award season um, when she was getting nominated for Hustlers a lot and, she almost got nominated for the Oscar. So it was kind of like this, how she was able to talk about like what it meant to her, the movie and like her career and, you know, being who she is um, as well as like that she had to share that halftime show with Shakira. So there's just like a lot, she talks about a lot from her career to the business and all that. So I found it really interesting. They set her, oh man, they set her up for Hustlers because she went into this and you can see her, having so much confidence she was getting an Oscar nomination because she got the Globe nomination and everything. And then it's like, wah, wah. Team got nominated. Did she get nominated for SAG? So she was like, you know. She got in everywhere, didn't she? Yeah, yeah pretty I mean, much. After. And then she talks about, too, because I really like this as well. Um, she talks, too, about how her and Shakira felt kind of shafted because they had to share the stage and give literally maybe like the four minutes of both of their highlights yeah, they had to give each give half a show when you know other performers are trusted to give a whole show. 
So interesting. Yeah. This is an interesting little documentary on Netflix. I did not catch it, but it does sound very good. I remember when it came out, everybody on Twitter was like trashing Laura Dern after it came out. And I'm like, that Laura Dern was not the problem. <laughs> she has nothing uh, to do with this. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds really good. And you? You don't want to know what I think about J-Lo. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christian, let's hear your number 10. Okay. Oh, thank you. I get to go. Mm. <laughs> My number 10 is from a little filmmaker. Um, I think it was their first movie ever. So coming from the world of like television. Um, but the movie is The Fablemans from Steven Spielberg. Nobody. Wow. I've heard of okay. her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. Is it? Okay. I guess that I'm the only one with the number 10 here pick. Anyway, so this is the semi-autobiographical Spielberg movie, yada, yada, yada. We all know the plot at this point. It's been everywhere talking about it. I kind of, I'm not even going to say the plot. You should know it by now. Um, I kind of debated back and forth on this one as my number 10. But the more I thought about it, the more I almost felt guilty not putting Spielberg in my top 10. And the more I thought about this movie, the more I liked it. And then pretty much thought to myself, Oh, yeah, this is still Spielberg at, like, the peak. The best he has ever been, but he's always been great in my book, as we damn well know. I don't think he's ever really had any falls. Shut up. I know one of you is going to say something about something. Shut up now. But anyway, um, I was thinking about this movie, too, today as we're recording because we ended up watching Duel this morning. And my review for Duel was not me looking at the horizon lines because that's, like, a whole big plot point in this movie but everybody does a pretty fantastic job in this i think um, michelle williams getting singled out there but really gabriel labelle as sammy fableman who is the quasi teenage spielberg is just i think he's incredible too and he should have really been talked about a lot more for awards consideration so i don't think it's like the best he's ever made but coming off of two back-to-back -back years where he has this and west side story pretty damn good filmography you say so myself so kind of interested to see where this guy goes i don't know yeah this is my number 14 of the year so it was very close um i'm glad you had it just to have an excuse to talk about it for a few seconds just because i same thing for me like i saw it at first and i was like oh it's it's good it's really good it's like a nice four-star movie for me and you know kind of move on that yeah it would not leave my brain um watching it kind of felt like when I was first getting into movies as a teenager, it kind of gave me that feeling again. Um, and I think, yeah, because we were all expecting that it was going to be just this heartwarming movie about Spielberg and his family. And it's really cynical, uh, which is at, at points, which is really fascinating. Um, and I agree completely. I actually think, yeah, Gabriel LaBelle, I thought gave the best performance in the movie. Um, I think he's the one who should be, be talked about more as well. So it's really fantastic. It, it may end up on my top 10 in a few years honestly but great stuff yeah i mean i really liked it too i think um gabrielle labelle gives a good performance but i think um judd hirsch does so much with one scene like he's like the heart of the movie i feel like that scene that he does have is like this is why spielberg wanted to make this movie is the little monologue that judd hirsch gives yeah. um but yeah i mean i also agree that <clears throat> 
It's a good four-star movie. Maybe if I watch it again, it'll be a little higher, but um, yeah. I mean, it's really, it's a really solid effort from Spielberg about his life. So I have not seen the film. <laughs> Talk to me when you've seen all the filmless movies on my list. There we go. I've seen bodies, bodies, bodies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you had seen number, if you see my number nine, I'll eat my hat. All right. Well, um, I'm going to go into my number nine next. Um, it's one that I don't think anybody else has, but we'll see. It is Top Gun Maverick. All right. And I think part of the appeal for this movie for me is that if you had told me at the beginning of the year that Top Gun Maverick would be in my top 10, I would laugh you out of the room. I do not like the original Top Gun. I think it's a pretty terrible movie. Um, but this one kind of blew me away. I, in an age of like CGI usually dominating visual effects and what we see from that type of stuff, this one feeling so practical and feeling so real and in the moment with the characters um, kind of kept me on the edge of my seat. When I was watching it in the theater, you know, since the pandemic first started, you know, we've been gradually making our way back to theaters and whatnot. Um, in 2021, it was in the Heights that really brought that for me. But this year, my probably my favorite theater experience was Top Gun Maverick. Um, it was just so electric and there may be some propaganda there for sure, but it doesn't feel as full flesh as the original does. Like if you're expecting something like the original where it feels like it was made specifically to get people into the military military. But um, I feel like this one was just much more about creating a story, getting to know the characters um, Val Kilmer has a really great appearance partway through the movie. And there's a scene where Maverick, the, all of his students are like struggling with the training facility or the training part of the task. And he goes in and does it himself. And it is one of the most thrilling sequences I've seen in a while. It is just unreal. Um, so yeah, not a movie I expected to be saying on this podcast, but it completely exceeded my expectations and it was a lot of fun. I speak for Toby and myself when I say when we saw this, ooh, it was sold out. It was packed. The first movie my mom has seen in a theater since 2017. So she wanted to go and I liked it a lot. And we got to see it again um, with family over the holidays. And I don't know, it still had that excitement to it and everything. Um, yeah. No, it was good. And it like it's in my top 15, too, just because I like you. I was impressed with how better it is than the first one, which is like absolute garbage. There's only so much of Take My Breath Away I can actually stand. <laughs> and when it plays in that movie every like five seconds. Yeah. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> I didn't say the movie. Mm. I don't think anyone expected me to go see that one. No, no. no. Not really. <laughs> no. Listen. I at this point I can just like I can be like that movie's not for me. I don't have to oh, see yeah. it. Yeah, I liked it too. It's good. All right. Zay, let's hear your number nine. My number nine is the biggest blockbuster after Top Gun Maverick of 2022. It's called The Novelist's Film. Seen it. Direct <laughs> no, you did not. Directed by Han Sang Su. So? Su. 
apologies. Um, the first time I've seen a film from this director, actually, he's kind of got uh, a pretty prolific career at this point. Um, but it played in my local cinema and I thought it looked very interesting. So I was just like, oh, I'm gonna go into this blind, not have any idea what's going on. But it's very, mm, it's not really surreal as much as it is like kind of stream of consciousness. I think it's basically like the director also wrote the movie and it's basically about his like, um, excuse me, um, how he goes about like writing things basically. And it's just like, it'll start one place and then immediately goes to another place. And then like a million coincidences happen in order to make the story keep going. And it's just very weird. And it's almost dreamlike in a way. But it basically takes, it revolves, the protagonist is a novelist who happens to be so famous that everyone can just like recognize her on the street. Um, and she also has like a bunch of friends in this town she's visiting. Um, and then she eventually meets an actress who's in this town who happens to be on like taking a break from making movies. And then she meets her friend who is a director. And then she's like, why don't we all get together and make a movie? I would love to make a movie. I've always wanted to make a movie. And they just talk about what it would be like to make the movie. And then it's just like, I don't know, it's one of those things where like the movie you're watching ends up being the movie they're making. And it's just very like, yeah. It never quite, I think what I liked most about the movie was me trying to figure out what the movie was doing. Because I was just like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense for like the first 45 minutes. And then it finally kind of clicked for me that it's very much a, uh, like meta text of the director talking about his own process in filmmaking. And I just found it very interesting and I liked it a lot. And I just uh, enjoyed the exercise of it all, I guess. But yeah, everyone's favorite movie this year. What do you guys think of it? I personally thought that this was a small film with a giant heart. <laughs> you waited till the end. <laughs> it actually, no, it sounds really good. And honestly, it sounds like an art house version of the Fablemans, to be honest. Um, just with the way you described it, it, with the filmmaking process and like making the film that they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Sounds really hmm. good. All right, Toby, let's hear your number nine. Um, my number nine is Till. That's a small film with a giant heart. <laughs> All right. Well, waiting. <laughs> Christian, let's hear your number nine. Okay, Maybe. my number nine is The Batman. Okay, wow. Over two here. Anyway, so you know a superhero, quote-unquote superhero, in my opinion, does a lot for me when Toby here is tapping my shoulder halfway through and watching it and says, hey, we have a snow day tomorrow. And I didn't care in the least. I was focused on what I was watching on screen. I think that this is honestly one of the greatest superhero films ever made. Um, I've only seen it once, but even in that one time, seeing it in the IMAX was kind of a thrilling experience, especially that car chasing between Batman and the Penguin. Um, but it is obviously a dark, brooding film 
um, again, dark as fuck. The cinematography is great. And the fact that it's not winning cinematography at the Oscars is baffling, um, especially that scene when he's guiding all the people through the light and uh, the symbolism behind all that. So I'm not a real big superhero person, but when the movie itself does not feel like that and it just feels like some random guy who wants to dress up as a bat to get his kink on and fly around the city saving other people then i'm all for it so i really 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 enjoyed this it does have very nice um and it's close to my top 10 too just because i did like it quite a bit um yeah and the score is really great too Mm, it's my yeah personal Winner of the year. Batman is a kinky weirdo, and when people realize that, his stories are better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also really liked it. It's also the reason why I won't go to a certain AMC in my town anymore. Oh. It was so, literally the first 20 minutes. I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Is the movie really that dark? And oh. it was just their fucking projector light. Mm. And they were like, yeah, we can't do anything about it. I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't even the first showing of the day. Oh, jeez. Anyway, fuck AMC 14 in Indianapolis. <laughs> I hope you're listening. Yeah, I really liked it as well. I It was really awesome. Matt Reeves is awesome. I mean, he completely was did great work with the uh, Planet of the Apes movies, the recent trilogy there, and just knocked this out of the park. And I just like taking Batman different direction. And I also really like that this was like full on detective Batman. Because um, that's something from the comics I think is sometimes missing from the movies is that him getting into that detective solving the mystery mode. And this film went really heavy in that direction. So I appreciated that too. I hope we get a crossover with Detective Pikachu. <laughs> I'd also, it. also, if you're, this is on HBO Max, so I forgot to tell people where all these things are streaming. Well, all I right. don't think my last two movies are streaming anywhere, so we're safe. Yeah, uh, Top Gun Maverick might be on Paramount Plus. I think it, it might. Is. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, my number eight <laughs> is, uh, I believe, streaming on Apple. TV Plus is where it, I think I'm pretty sure Apple bought it, but it is Cha Cha Real Smooth. Um, so 2020, I believe, um, was when Shit House came out. That was the, like the feature film debut of director Cooper Rafe, and that was a movie that a lot of people loved. I thought it was merely okay, but there was one scene in that movie where I was like, "This scene is outstanding," and if this guy can make a movie that lives up where the whole movie lives up to what this scene does it could be really great and that's what cooper rafe did with cha-cha real smooth for me um you know it's about a guy who is basically living in his early 20s he's just graduated from college and he's trying to figure out what to do and he forms this relationship with this woman in her 30s and i just really dug that partnership between cooper rafe and dakota johnson in this movie in fact i think dakota johnson gave one of the best supporting performances of the year here um she's pretty phenomenal and does really great work and i found it really easy to care about those characters and what they're going through and i also found it really profound that the movie really draws on the fact that although they are very similar in a lot of ways um he is kind of living in his 20s in this era of his life and she is kind of in her mid-30s and the film is very upfront with saying you know they are similar in a lot of ways but they are also still 
at vastly different points in their lives, despite only being separated by like less than 10 years. Um, and I found that idea really interesting and found the script just fascinating. There's great supporting work from Leslie Mann and Brad Garrett here as well. Um, so really enjoy the ensemble overall. And it was a real step up from shithouse. I've gone from being like cautiously, cautiously optimistic about Cooper Ray from being like, I can't wait to see what this guy does next. So that's my number eight on the year. I missed this one. I wanted to see it. This really good. is a, this is a Brett movie through and through. It is a Brett movie. Yes. As absolutely. in, as in college white guys who went to film school really liked it. <laughs> you, you mean know, like the you <laughs> That's different. That's Spielberg. <laughs> um, when you said Dakota Johnson was like one of the best supporting actresses of the year, Toby here said there's about five good performances in the Woman King that easily could have been there too. I don't disagree with that. It's not like Dakota Johnson stole a nomination from one of them either. So it's true. Yes. All right, Zay. Let's hear your number eight. My number eight is a small film with a lot of heart. It is Elvis, directed by Baz Luhrmann. And <laughs> I thought you two liked it. I, I knew you know what? I will, I will admit for me, I loved it. And it came in a number at like 11. So it was barely there. Elvis. I know, Brad, it's probably like number 58. Um, I love this movie. I love this movie. It's crazy. Baz Luhrmann is back, and I hope he's back for good, because I need I need a Baz Luhrmann movie every four years, or I'm just right into my bloodstream. Because he makes choices. Every single second of this movie is a choice. Every... So it's just, it's, it is a biopic about Elvis Presley. And when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, I'm excited about Baz Luhrmann, but I don't know what the hell he's going to do with that Elvis biopic. Like, what the fuck? Um, but it's exhilarating. It's an insane, just like, coming from Australia, he's an Australian filmmaker. So I think an outsider perspective of the American myth that is Elvis Presley is a very interesting way to make this film. And he touches on so many things during this American myth about how Elvis's story really wasn't his story, about how he was marketed in order to sell black music using his white persona. Um, and how he was popular in the midst of so much political things happening when artists like him were told not to be political. And just, you know, how ultimately his story was cut short, way shorter than anyone really would have thought. Because most of you tell people he died at the age of 42, it doesn't sound right because he did so much. And the fact that the movie is over two and a half hours, it really packs it all in there, I think. And, like, it's not the full story, but I think he, Baz Luhrmann, gets his point across as to what he wanted to tell in the Elvis Presley story. And it's just the visuals, the, just, the makeup 
on Austin Butler, who Austin Butler is doing a fantastic job playing Elvis. There are points in the movie where the makeup on Austin Butler just makes him kind of look like a monster, and I'm really into it. I don't know what it is. Um, the costumes are perfect. Perfect costuming. And, yeah, I don't know. I, Elvis was someone I was like, when I was like very young, I was like, oh, this is someone important. I should listen to their music. And that's how, I, like, one of the first people, like, I started to identify without being someone my parents listened to on the radio. Going on in my old elder older life, recognizing that Elvis is kind of more of a problematic icon, like, looking back historically, whether it's his fault or not to be debated. But uh, I think the movie is conscious of that, at least. I think that's what I appreciate the most, is that they weren't just trying to ignore the fact that he was primarily delving into Black music to get rising him into fame. So yeah, Elvis. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it too. And like you said, it doesn't feel... It's like music biopics tend to... They can either be like, you know, just your typical run-of-the-mill thing, or they can do something that makes them feel like that, not the typical. And Elvis kind of managed to do that with the performance and what it tries to get across, like you said. So, I really, really enjoyed it. I was kind of flabbergasted at myself for liking it as much as I did because it's zany in all the weird and right ways. And like I said, I think it got to number 11, and it was a toss-up between this and Fableman, so, but it's it's way up there, which is weird for me. Because I shouldn't, because everybody's like, oh, it's like Bohemian Rhapsody, which is like one of the worst oh, god-awful films ever made. And it's not in any regards. You have fun with it. Some of us had fun with it. So I mean, also, I didn't That's mention the Tom Hanks, the the Tom Hanks performance, which is like equally like the strangest performance and also the most brilliant performance at the same time. Like it's of its own. Like I watched that movie twice, both times. I'm like, I don't know what the hell he's doing, but it's magic. He's and getting then, getting COVID because that's when he got COVID during the making of this. He got COVID and a paycheck. And then I we looked up a video of the actual um, Colonel Parker, and then I, he does have a kind of a strange voice. So I was like, sure. <laughs> he's white. Anyway. <laughs> No, my, my only comment is that I'm really eating up the whole uh, Austin Butler actually sounds like Elvis stuff that's going on. Um, that That's just a fantastic bit of campaigning. You know, maybe if Lady Gaga had kept up the Italian voice, she would have actually got in last year. Uh, although this performance is a lot better than hers. Um, Ooh, fire. Shots fired. Yeah, well, you know, I will say as someone who did not really enjoy this movie, the comparisons to Bohemian Rhapsody are unwarranted it's much better than that um and does better things so yeah all right toby let's hear your number eight um my number eight is the woman king a small film with a giant heart viola davis gives the performance of the year hashtag fyc hashtag oscars Hashtag Christian Awards. Yeah. All right, then. Christian, let's hear your number eight. 
Okay, for listeners out there, you have to understand that Toby and I watch all these together, so they're gonna, it's very much gonna cross over here. Anyway, so number eight is Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood. Which is a small film with the giant hearts. Nice. Yes, I also have that on my list. All right. Well, my number seven is, I would imagine, probably one of the most watched movies of the year. Um, probably right behind like Top Gun Maverick and Avatar The Way of Water. It is RRR. Oh, okay. Again, one of those like top 15 situations. All right. Um, I was not even prepared I think, for this. Because I, just, I, 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 I just want to say with mine, because I watched it just recently, I didn't want to have that recency bias with it. Mm, so fair. I think I, I put it enough within the top 15. that. But I, I think it's incredible. It's zany. Go. Yeah. No, it, it's amazing. Um, directed by S.S. Rajamuli. Um, yeah, it, it's on Netflix. It's made in India, the story of two historical revolutionaries and basically this fictional story of like, what if these two um, major historical figures came together and became friends and did these thing, these amazing things together, went on these adventures together? Uh, this movie is an epic. It's over three hours long. It's a great three hours spent. It is a musical. It's an action movie, um, but I think most importantly, it's it's a great buddy film. One of the you know great buddy films I think I've ever seen. Um, there are so many sequences in this movie where I was just like, even just watching at home on my TV, my jaw was dropping. Like not just because of of the filmmaking craft that goes into it, but like I can't believe that we have this amazing popular movie that's also getting great critical recognition that's doing some of these things. Like there's a scene where a guy is breaking into a temple and he does so by just releasing a bunch of wild animals onto soldiers and following them in. That's fucking awesome. And, but the, the best scene by far is the not to not to scene. Um, that the scene that the song is hopefully going to win an Oscar for I'm watching these two guys dance and I'm just like, what is happening? How is this happening? And I don't know why is this so amazing, but it is. Um, two great charismatic performances from the two leads and, and really from most actors involved with this. Um, and the story is just constantly entertaining. It's, I had just, I just had so much fun with it. I, it's one of the most rewatchable three hour movies I've seen in a long, long time. Um, yeah, definitely wreck it out. Check it out on Netflix. I recommend, you know, watching it in Hindi. Um, instead of like the English dub, which is probably set at automatically, but it's so much fun and definitely recommend it. I will say if you are watching this, yes, in Hindi, but just be advised that it starts out like the first minute or so in English. So that's because there's British people in it. And that threw me off to where I had to pause it, check it and then confirm. Yes, it is in Hindi. So like I said, it's, that shit crazy and it's so good though it's so good yeah this is what i want hollywood blockbusters to be uh that's kind of how i describe it. and i forgot to mention that the best part of it all is that these two actors like they become friends and their friendship is so pure and you're just like gosh these two guys really really love each other and um it's kind of fun to witness too so i haven't seen this one either okay Ooh. 
I haven't been avoiding anything other than Top Gun Maverick. It just hasn't. I haven't gotten to it yet. That's all. All right, Zay. Let's hear your number seven. My number seven is a documentary called Fire of Love. Ah, uh, a small film with a giant heart. Oh. All right, Toby, let's hear your number seven. Oh, my number seven is uh, Marcel the Shell with shoes on. A small, a small, very small film with a giant, with a giant heart. heart. And a small pair of shoes. And a small pair of shoes, yeah. <laughs> Toby will get to talk about a movie again at some point. I, I just know it. <laughs> uh, Christian, let's hear your number seven. Mine is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Oh, say it for me. Uh, Toby wants to say that it is a small film with a giant heart. <laughs> oh, I love it. Did we get through this round? Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> oh. Okay, then. Well, fortunately, I know I'm going to have some help with my number six um, because my number six is Fire of Love. Um, well, you can just say that. Um... <laughs> I guess I don't know how this works. <laughs> it wasn't my turn yet. But <laughs> um, no, I I love this uh, this documentary. Um, this is a really really cinematic documentary, and, and a lot of documentaries are that way. But especially this one. Admittedly, most documentaries that I see, I watch at home just because they don't often get theatrical releases, and if they do, they are very short lived. This is one that I am so glad that I saw in a movie theater because I, the imagery is outstanding. Like the the views that they got of these volcanoes um, as they're erupting is absolutely bonkers. Uh, and but most importantly, I mean, the movie, I think what makes the movie work the most, even more so than the images, is that the two main subjects that they're looking at are extremely interesting people. Um, and their love was so genuine and their passion for these volcanoes was unbelievably genuine. Um, and you think you, this isn't a spoiler. Like if you watch the trailer, it says that this is the last day of their life. So, you know, that these two people die at some point and yet I don't necessarily walk away feeling sad. I walk away feeling like, oh man, these people lived like that's oh, awesome. Yeah, they got to do exactly what they wanted to do with their life yeah. and the documentary conveys that very well i think going back to i think um this was a national geographic documentary yes. right yeah they definitely make documentaries especially ever since um the, the one free fall not free fall uh, uh free solo free solo um where just like they want to make documentaries you see in the theater yeah um and yeah so this and it's also like documentaries tend to go too. Some of them go too slow for me, but I'm just like I don't want to watch this in the theater. I I need something else to happen. Um, that's just me, and just but that's also like the current state of like talking head documentaries. But I love documentaries like this. It was like almost all just footage that they had shot, just going over their lives, and just I just loved it. It was just such a good, like you said, cinematic. Like they they structured it in a way that it was just they're going through their lives through their work through their careers and touching on every single aspect of that life and why it was fulfilling and why them dying by the hand of their own work at the end 
really isn't that sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I liked it too. Um, it reminded me a lot of the Nat Geo um, documentary Jane. It's like they can make these documentaries that, you know, focus on someone's life and you really get the whole a sense of who they are and who are who they were. And it's just so well made. And it was really close to being in my top 10 as well. Same. It's in like top, honestly, top 15. I think it's my favorite documentary of the year too. Mm-hmm. Um, no. And it was beautiful to watch too in a theater. We sat super close to it. So like that lava was right in our face and everything. Mm, sounds hot. Indeed. <laughs> it was the summer. The summertime. I also, my last point, I love the narration from Miranda July in the movie. I saw some people criticize that. Like they said, oh, she was too low key and, and not very no. animated. And I'm like, I, I think it's perfect. That's I think exactly what the movie needed. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that was uh, my number six, Zay's number seven. So Zay, let's hear your number six. My number six is, well, you're going to, people who know me will be like, of course, this isn't your top 10. This was made specifically for you. It is another documentary. Kind of. It's more, it's a documentary. I'll say it's It's Moon Age Daydream. The David Bowie documentary slash kind of an essay film, honestly. Because it's just, there's almost no narrative to it. It's just a mishmash of David Bowie performances, appearances, interviews of just like his many like ideologies and his music just all together in a massive like editing spree. The director, Brett Morgan, had like, he took hours upon hours upon hours to cut and paste everything he put into the film. Because even at the time, there were things like, I've been a huge David Bowie fan for the past decade or so. And there had been like clips and stuff in there. I'm like, I have no idea where that's from. I've never seen it before in my life. So he had, he had like access to like the biggest archives because this was like the first thing, the first movie the estate like allowed to be made. Because if anyone ever saw that movie Stardust, oh boy, that was, that sucked. Anyway, so I'm very glad he did have permission to get all these things because I can't imagine what the movie would be without the music. Because the music is very good. I saw it in like the nicest IMAX we have in the city. It's like attached to the art museum. Oh, it was so nice. It was like a early screening, like the Monday before it opened in America. Mm. Just so nice. Just very uh, nice documentary that you can just kind of just lose yourself inside of it because it's just words and music and you just listen to everything. And just get a lot of over overstimulating visuals. Sometimes it's just just well well crafted, well put together, and I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I saw this the last day that our art house theater had it here. Like they said, oh, last day to see it. And I'm like, oh, I should go see it. I'm glad I did because it's another documentary that I would prefer to see in a theater. Just because once again, it's so creative, so cinematic. The colors are just phenomenal um and like you said i honestly and this is not a a knock on elvis by any means but i would prefer if it like if studios could stop making 
these music biopics and just make more documentaries like this, that would be awesome. Um, and you know, we could have both too, I guess. But yeah, this is the type of stuff that I want to see from an artist like Bowie, who I don't know a ton about, but I feel like this probably captures his essence better than something like Stardust or a more traditional documentary would. I only gave you that face. I only gave you that face because I didn't think you had seen it. So I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the the man who directed he also did like a Kurt Cobain documentary for HBO like um, four or five years ago that I thought was also very good. And that's when I found out he was the director of this movie that I was like, okay, this is in pretty decent hands. I think we can this be pretty good. So. Oh, he also, because I've seen the Cobain one, and he directed the Jane Goodall one. Oh, nice. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, we haven't seen that one, the Moonage Daydream, but I'm looking forward to it. My thing was that they showed it in the Fomax here. So, like, the IMAX, but it's not technically an IMAX. It's IMAX in name only, not in, like, the way it's given out there. So, we never got, we have it on a screener, but we never got the chance to see it yet. Really good stuff. Toby, let's hear your number six. My number six is something I can actually talk about. Um, it's Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood. A small film with a giant heart. You already have that one? I know, but it's your turn. Okay. <laughs> you had that one. Um, but yes, it's a uh, Richard Linklater, Linklater, right? Yep. Uh, movie on Netflix. Um, and it's animated, and it's got really interesting rotoscoped, rotoscoped. It's a, it's a type of animation, but yeah, yes, a type of animation. Like I said, can I? Yes. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to interject? It's a lovely film. <laughs> but yes, um, really uniquely animated, and it's basically the story is a. Uh, a young boy who lives in Houston, Texas during the uh, journey to the moon. So it's like about going to the moon, like what actually happened, but also like what it was like on, from the perspective of like a person watching it on TV. So it's like, you know, we all know the <clears throat> infamous thing that they showed on TV, but it's like seeing that through the eyes of a child who lived in that area and in that era and like the imagination that he kind of has because of it. So I just found it to be really, yeah, really unique and interesting. <laughs> yes. Um, same with everything he said. So we saw this when it really, when it dropped back in April and I thought it was incredible too. So I really like the rotoscoping aspect of it. The coming of age story. Um, Jack Black is basically the kid as an adult narrating. So his voice is really good through all of this. Um, and this is Linklater's, is it his third rotoscoped movie? Yeah. Uh, the uh, Scanner Darkly and then Waking Life, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so so he, he has the rotoscoping thing down and it works very, very well. Um, I know Brett's favorite Glenn Powell is in this too. So, and, and somebody who we don't talk about at the moment currently, is another famous star but anyway so the film itself is just incredible and this is one that's like give it a shot because you I like i didn't think that i was going to care for it 
I didn't even know what it was really until the week before it was released. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, this is actually pretty sick. Uh, not nominated for the Oscars because there was like a whole situation where they're saying it's not animated, but it's rotoscoping, which is a type of animation. So yes, it is technically animation. Whole other story there, but like Toby was saying, just really great film. And I know Blinklater is like Brett's favorite director, so. And not that many people have seen this on Letterboxd, so. Still? Only 40,000. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, kind of wild that like, I don't have this on my list, but it is like my number 17. So it is, it's, it's very high on my total list for the year. Um, it's, I don't know. It's between this and a scanner darkly for my favorite of the three that he's made rotoscopes. But like this is unique because it's the first one that he's done with this technique that is not like, I don't, the plot isn't out there like the other two. Um, but yeah, a lot of these movies about like directors in their childhood, but I think this one really works because alongside the actual events you have him imagining as you know an, an eight-year-old or whatever however old he is here oh what if like they built a lunar module too small and they sent me up to the moon and it's like what kid probably wasn't thinking that at that time how cool it would be to go to the moon and what that would be like and so him using that the rotoscoping technology to kind of bring that to life is awesome yeah i i love it it's great when everybody was talking about their, like the best animated films of the year I feel like I was just like screaming, like nobody's talking about Apollo 10 and a half and it's great. And yeah, but really love it. I liked it. I liked it more than I thought, but like, I just, because Link Letter is just very up and down with me. Some of his movies I really like some, well, those of you who listened to our 2016 episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christian, you're number six. Okay, my number six is a movie that literally three of us, maybe two of us, as of this recording, not sure, saw, but it is spoiler alert. A small movie with a giant heart. I did see it. I just finished okay. it like an hour ago. Okay, cool. Last yes. night. Oh! Oh! Wow. Okay. All right. Well, well, we'll come back to it then. All right. All right, so going on to my number five. Um, this is the movie that I was kind of waiting for to kind of finalize my list. Wasn't sure if it would make it on or not, but it did. It is Sarah Polly's Women Talking. Um, and yeah, I I wasn't sure going in. I was like, I feel like this is going to be something that I'm at the very least going to really like, but maybe it's going to be a little bit too slow, maybe a little bit too structured with it being mostly in one location. Not at all. Um, I was... I really enjoyed all of this. Um, you can ask Christian, like when I first saw the trailer, I was like the color grading, like, is it really like that? And, you know, I finally get to it. And I'm like, Oh, I actually really like what they did with this. Like it, it looks really cool. Um, I understand why they made that choice. And I think Christian, you mentioned that she wanted to do black and white, but they didn't allow her to. So she went this route instead. So I'm like, cool. You know, a director, like working the system to do something that she wants to do. Um, even though she's been told she can't do something else. Um, yeah, I, I think the script is really great, not perfect, but, um, really kind of gets down to this idea of, you know, these women have three choices and I think that, you know, one of them that they talk about is whether they should leave or not. And they discuss that as much as they do, whether they should stay and fight. And I think both of them are given kind of equal power. 
Um, I don't think there are many out there that give power to like leaving and that being like a radical act for these women to do. Um, so I really enjoyed how that all kind of went down. But really, the biggest thing about this movie is the ensemble. This is a case where the ensemble is so great because I cannot pick out a favorite, a definitive favorite. Like, oh, Jesse Buckley was great uh, for being this kind of loud vocal performance, um, whereas Rooney Mara was great for being this kind of more subtle, quiet performance that tones everything down. But then you've got, you know, those two and Francis McDormand and Claire Foy that everybody are talking about. But you can make the same argument for Sheila McCarthy or Judith Ivey. Um, everybody is great in this movie in their own little ways. And every character feels kind of main character, at least feels unique in that way. And so I really enjoyed just sitting, observing as these characters talk through all their options, what they're going to do and thought it was really, really well directed as well. Um, one of my favorite moments from Oscar nominations morning is they got to the final film for best picture. And I just knew they were going to say the whale. I was like, Oh, the whale's getting nominated. It's happening. You know, Brendan Fraser, Hong Chow, you know, great for them, but God, I hate that movie. And then they said women talking and I lost it. I was like, Oh, thank goodness. Finally, a film that deserves to be there. Sarah Polly deserved to be there too, but um, overall it's a great movie and it's glad to at least getting recognized in some way. This was in, I think at least top 20 for me. And I think a re cause I only saw it once. So rewatch will really, solidify where it is but yes pretty incredible movie the color grading on it literally had zero effect on my likeness of it like i thought it was good it's a very somber moody film as it is um a lot of emotions through them and what they're trying to decide here so that color grading worked because this is a dark situation they're going through and it's not just a a situation where okay we can leave because of who they are and their community it's if we decide what we're going to decide, it's going to impact us. It's going to change our lives, our family's lives forever. So there's nothing really happy or joyous about it, no matter what the decision is. So great movie. Everybody should watch it. I liked it. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I liked the, the, the script of it, which led me to be like, I think I want to read the book. Mm, there was just yeah. some uh structural things in the film that i'm just like were in my cup of tea but i think the director just wasn't confident enough with everyone being in one location that where it like goes to flashbacks and stuff i was like mm. all right, it, it kind of faltered for me there but yeah the cast was great the script was great and you like mentioning that the director didn't get full like everything she wanted in her vision i could see that being probably where that like ended up going so yeah i will definitely want to see where she goes in the future yeah Dude, this was her first movie in 10 years right sarah Pauly. yeah yeah was it was the last, last one yeah oh you remember we watched that in class yeah it's a good movie i was gonna say shout out to francis mcdormand for for producing this because after her win for three billboards she ended up working with Chloe Zhao and then Sarah Pauly on two mm -hmm. obviously female centric films that are out there and being told. And yes, thank God this is nominated for best picture because yeah. like her yeah, eighth when nomination, got, when it got to the W's <laughs> <laughs> woo, alphabetical, I'll tell you what. Yep. 
All right, Zay, let's hear your number five. My number five, I'm guessing, is going to be a small movie with a giant heart because it is a decision to leave. That is indeed a, a small movie with a giant heart. All right, Toby, let's hear your number five. Oh, my number five is uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Which is my number seven. Okay. So um, I probably won't serve it justice, but I mean, it's Guillermo del Toro's reimagining or, you know, um, his version of Pinocchio. And I honestly think it's like um, my favorite version of the story and what he does with it is you know what he's able to do with movies is he can make his it's his own style and it's so uniquely him like the production in here uh is just so unique and like i love the way it looks um the way it's constructed so yep um this ain't you, your, yeah you go you okay. know more about it this ain't <laughs> your this ain't your grandpa's pinocchio so this is not the kid this you would think, oh, yeah, animated, sure. This is not the Disney version, okay? It takes place in fascist Italy in World War II, okay? Pinocchio sort of, uh, not under his own intentions, becomes a fascist through this. But it's a movie, quite literally, as we say, it's a small, well, it's not small, but it has a giant heart to it, okay? Um, I mean, Pinocchio goes to hell and back, through all of this, Tilda Swinton is in this playing various characters. She's incredible. Um, the voice cast too. Uh, Geppetto is blah 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 blah. David Bradley, who's Filch in the Harry Potter series too, as Geppetto, and Ewan McGregor as the cricket in this. And Pinocchio is voiced by Gregory Mann. So it's just really good. And like Toby was saying, it's Del Toro's own unique style. I also want to say that it's co-directed to by Mark Gustafsson. Uh, which I actually think this is his first feature, his first full-length feature. So he did some stop-motion short films. So this is his first full-length feature. Um, but no, it's I think it's really good. A lot of cast members in it, so I won't say all of them or anything. But don't go in this expecting the jolly happiness that you'll find from Disney. And definitely choose this one over Zemeckis' version. I like how... Um... That's a whole other topic. I mean, what I liked how Guillermo this award season has tried so hard to push that animation is just a medium and not a for children kind of thing. So it's kind of like, I mean, I think we have that discussion quite a bit, but he kind of like, you know, wanted to bring it back up and be like, you know, animation is just a medium. It can be any anything you want it to be. It's not for children. Right. And I'm glad he does it with this. I'm glad that like Bong Joon-ho got it out there that you shouldn't be afraid of the one inch the one inch words on the bottom of the screen and del toro after i think it was last year too when encanto won whoever presented it i mean it's not their fault they were reading the script said it's just another way to put the noise on for your children but this is a no mean don't say that to guillermo del toro the man loves movies he loves filmmaking and this i mean he could have made this live action if he wanted to but he wanted to tell it in a way that he was obviously now comfortable with which was stop motion animation. It is not just for children. This is for adults. I teared up during this movie. Yeah, it's an impressive feat. I, I mean, just visually too. I, I, it's both beautiful and terrifying in the way it looks. Um, and yeah, whereas 
Zemeckis completely missed the point of the movie he was trying to you know remake. Del Toro just took it in a different direction, did something else new with it entirely. Um, I found the ending really poignant too. Um, the ending really stuck with me. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely an accomplishment. Um, hope it wins that Oscar and it's well deserving. Well, the thing is that the Zemeckis movie is just supposed to be a remake of the Disney movie, while this is more so taken from the source material, especially with the politics of the time the book was written. Um, but I guess anyway, um, I love I loved this a lot. It, this is like a top fifteen for me. Um, a lot of very good creature designs. The skeleton rabbits, I was hooping and hollering when I saw those guys come on. I was like, that shit's for me. Mm. That and the, we got two Tilda Swintons. You give me a, you give me one Tilda Swinton, I'll be there. You give me two, it, it's a top 10 for me. It's, it's not in my top 10. It's a, it's a top echelon for me. Yeah. Not to mention Kate Blanchett just doing monkey noises. Oh my god. When awesome. I found that out, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to spoil the cast, but okay. You named off like six people. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's the one I didn't want to spoil because it surprised me too. Oh, well. Sorry. I can edit it out. No, don't. Because <laughs> The woman can do no wrong. All right. Well, that was Toby's number five. Christian's number seven. Uh, Christian, let's hear your number five. Okay. My number five is Till, uh, which is the Emmett Till film directed by, oh, forgive me, Chinonye Chukwu. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, But they are the director of the film Clemency with Alfred Woodard from a few years back. Um, so this is uh, the true story of Emmett Till and his mother, Mamie Till. Mamie played by Daniel Deadweiler. Emmett played by Jalen Hall. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. If you don't know this story, you should. It's an American story through and through. But in 1955, Emmett Till, a young black man visiting family in Mississippi, was murdered by a gang of white supremacists. I won't go too far into exactly what happened. The movie can tell you for itself. But this is more so the fallout of what happens and the reaction in regards to his mother, Mamie Till. Um, So Daniel Deadweiler is incredible in this. And if we're talking about people who should have gotten awards consideration to the end of it all, it's Daniel Deadweiler in this. She gives a performance that is honestly haunting, captivating. I cried in this film, especially when she does find out that Emmett it was in fact killed and they find his body. Um, the camera is just focused on her solely. The music, the noise, everything is out. It's silent. It's completely silent. We saw this in a small screening with critics, so there weren't that many of us in there. But just an emotional train wreck um, with this. I do like that they didn't show you the murder on screen. Um, and it's more implied. Plus, you should, as an American, know this story anyway. So I do appreciate that only because the director I, I did see in interviews. Uh, she was on The View. Whoopi Goldberg is in this and produced it. She did not want to really show that nor end this movie with sadness. So it does not end on a very sad note. It ends more on a hopeful note. 
again through the eyes of Mamie Till Mobley, the mother of Emma Till. So yeah, honestly, great film. I'm excited to buy it on Blu-ray. I know it's out already, but at the stores, it's only on DVD. So got to go through other means to purchase that one. Well, I know also I like that the director was saying that she wanted to um, start the movie and end the movie happy, and they, they do that. Um, and I don't know if I should mention this, but it does not shy away from show, showing what happened to Tilda, though. <coughs> which is the whole point of what um, uh, Mamie wanted to do in the first place. So I'm glad that the movie does that as well. Like Mamie had the pictures taken of Till for a reason. And the director doesn't shy away from that either. So it's just like this. Yeah. The performance. Yeah. I don't even know how they could pass it up. Like, I just, I don't get it. (laughs) It's it's painful. And honestly, after the weeks leading up to the nominations for the Academy Awards, I really shouldn't say I saw it coming because I didn't see it coming. And this is one of those injustices, I think. Um, I hope that more people will see this too. It was a very small movie. It didn't stay around long. So hopefully it's one that you can catch like as soon as possible because it is out now to purchase, hopefully to stream eventually soon. So... Yeah, I missed this. It didn't play at any of the theaters I was really going to. Um, and then, now that seems that seems funny because your theater that you part time work at seems to show everything. I don't. Who's the distributor for this? Uh oh, a Ryan. Oh, oh yeah. Which they're know. like they're a they're an interesting story in and of itself, but. But yeah, I, and the ones that I, it, it was showing at the theater that's like right by my place, but it only showed it for like a week or two and I missed it. So yeah, it was a very come and go. And I don't, I think that it did just, um, the idea of the movie put a foul taste in some people's mouths that I saw at least on Twitter where they were just like, we don't need any more movies about black pain and black, you know, trauma and all that while you did talk about how the director was like, no, I'm trying to tell a different kind of story here. And I don't think that translated as well, or at least to, I'm sure some people just saw what the two two sentence synopsis of the movie was. It was just like, I don't want any part of that, which is fair, but I'm also like, I feel like there was, I don't know, I didn't see the movie yet. I will, I'll get to it. But I just feel like there's definitely more to that than we were led because it's very rare that we get like a black directed movie of mm-hmm. such a because historically it's always just white people getting to tell that story yeah yeah and it, yeah white person directs this it, it probably is the story of the killing of Emmett Till but this is not the story of the killing of Emmett Till this is the story of Mamie Till mm-hmm. and the how she took that event and used it to to fight and to do what she felt was necessary for her son and for others. And so, yeah, Daniel Deadweiler, period, incredible, uh, just absolute. I, I don't know if I star making is the right word, but like it, like she's fully on my radar now. I'll tell you that much. Um, that's what I think makes the snub so hard is that I'm not saying like getting an Oscar nomination helps careers. Like there have been plenty of cases where that's not the case. 
but one, it can. And two, you know, when, you know, people like us who are just, you know, discovering a love of movies and trying to figure out, oh, like what performances should I check out? They might go to Wikipedia and look at those five performances that got nominated for Oscars and not see Daniel Deadweiler there. And so that really hurts. Um, but the performance is great. Nonetheless, it does not diminish the performance. And yeah, she's incredible. All right. Moving on to number four. My number four is Nope from Jordan Peele. A small movie with a giant jean jacket. <laughs> That's amazing. Very nice. All right. So we'll table the discussion for that one. Zay, let's hear your number four. My number four is a film that was mentioned at the top of this podcast. We're all going to the World's Fair. Pass. A movie... Anyway, a movie that I really loved. I uh, The first time I watched it, I was just like, I don't know what this movie is. I didn't know what to do with it. Um, I saw it in the theater, and I was just like, weird. All right, I like the vibes. I like that it's very of its own. But after, but then after I left, I was like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I saw other people talking about it. And I was like, okay, they can't stop thinking about it either. And it has this very thing of it's like, very of someone who grew up in the internet culture, but felt very alone. So they reached out through the internet to see if there was anyone else out there like them. And I think that's something that's getting more and more prevalent with, um, you know, as the internet is becoming the main culture that people are about. Um, and I think that And definitely the fact that the, the film is directed by a trans woman also add another layer for me. Just that also, you know, growing up small town, you don't understand your queerness because there's no other queerness around you. But you go into the internet, there's queer people on the internet. But the, the problem is you try to find that thing on the internet, there's bad things on the internet. And therefore you're letting yourself into these corners that cause harm to you or will you you're going to cause harm to yourself because of these things and i think this film understands the complexity of that and i think it ties very well into the tradition of like the creepypasta of just like there's some curses on the internet and if you get yourself into these curses you'll be trapped blah 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 and so i think that's kind of at least like a nice fun angle of the movie so it's not like downright depressing but the ending does come off as just nice and vague enough where you're like i don't know if this happened or that happened if this person is like what he says he is or if she's like she gave into it or if she's safe or what we don't really know and there's just a couple moments in the movie where I just found just kind of just like gut-wrenching, like kind of made my heart sink. Where I'm just like, oh, 
she doesn't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. And it's just a nice space in the movie where I'm just like, I don't know, just, I'm glad I witnessed this very unique coming together of this. Yeah, I don't know, just, I love a movie that can just make me keep thinking about it long after I left it. Yeah, it, it, it kind of got under my skin a little bit as well. Um, this is a really weird comparison, but like, stick with me. As I was watching it, I kept thinking of the song from Bo Burnham Inside, Welcome to the Internet. And okay. to me, that song is terrifying, like borderline evil. And this was almost like a visual representation of some of the stuff that like he talks about in that song. Like, like you mentioned, yes, the internet was created for this purpose and there are some good things out there, but there's also a lot of darkness out there too and a lot of bad. And um, this is a case of a character who found that and it, it leads to some horrific things, but like you said, still leaves it ambiguous in the end so that it may not be all bad, but I enjoyed it as well. I did yeah, not. The songs. the songs that Alex G put in there, I really love those songs. Yeah, I just I think agreed. the soundtrack was... Mm -hmm. I didn't really, yeah. I just didn't care for it, personally. I once had a tick <laughs> get under my skin. And that got under my skin more than this ever did. That's it. I would hope so, because that's a literal thing. <laughs> <laughs> this, I don't I know what this like was, but... Just the, I was nice that. about your movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Toby, let's hear your number four. Okay. <laughs> so my number four is... Why are you looking at me? Bringing up J-Lo again. <laughs> my number four is Marry Me. In this household, we respect J-Lo. So, um, yeah, Marry Me from back in February. It was this... It's starring J-Lo and um, Owen Wilson. And basically she agrees to marry this guy off the, you know, off of a... In the audience. In the audience of her show. <laughs> I don't know. It's It was ridiculous. And we laughed a lot at the trailer. But, I mean, it's, it's really... It's a masterpiece. Owen Wilson and J-Lo have, like, really great chemistry. The titular song is, like, fantastic. I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. It's now our new tradition as of next week when Valentine's Day comes around. We're going to watch it. So it was fun. Literally, we ragged on this movie. And I think I texted you two amount, a good amount of time saying she'll make anything these days. She don't give a shit. And then we saw it. It was great. It was I've been like that. It was beautiful. I thought it was just beautiful. I mean, I've seen performances before. Vivian Lee in A Streetcar Named Desire. Liz Taylor <laughs> and Virginia Woolf. Halo and Marry Me, they're all in the same realm, okay? But yeah, no, no, I just, it was a fun movie. Look, and if if Haley, no. if Haley wants to hang out the night before the wedding, we're going to watch Marry Me, okay? She watched it with me. I think she, she loved it as well. She better um, have. I, I, I didn't love it quite as much as y'all did, but it was definitely better than I, I I was the same way. I was making fun of the trailers. I was like, this looks ridiculous, but it has a lot of heart. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was fine. 
I thought it was a little long. It didn't need to be that long. What? How long is it? It's like two hours long. I get, yeah, I guess it does feel a little long at the yeah. end, but it's 112 minutes. It's like a 90 minute movie. Should be. But I love it. I tend to fall for those kind of movies, I think. Fools Rush In, for example, in our last episode. Yeah. So that's very, very nice. Christian, let's hear your number four. Okay. My number four is, is that right? Mm-hmm. It's Toby's number nine. So we can finally talk about this, but it is The Woman King, uh, directed by Gina Prince Bythewood and starring the one, the only, the EGOT winning Viola Davis. Um, and it tells the story of an all female unit of warriors in Africa in the 1800s during the time of the slave trade and her and her female warriors just trying to basically protect their land, um, working so that none of their allies, their family members, their community are taken and sold into slavery. Um, And then just a lot of secrets are revealed with her life and a lot of fighting. There's great battles in this movie. I think it's incredible. I was shocked watching it that in the end of it all, I was blown the fuck away from it. Like Viola Davis fucking kills it in this. She is another hurt that was not nominated, nor was this movie. This movie has like a lot of things going for it that could have been nominated. It has like three or four supporting actress performances that are like more worthy than I, you know, they're like top five in my opinion. I mean, we have we have Thuso Mebdi. We have Lashana Lynch and we have Sheila Atim, okay? And even John Boyega is in this, mm-hmm. Viola. We have performances in this. The cast is stacked. The action is stacked. The makeup, the hair, the costume, the music, the production design, everything in this is going for it, okay? So if you want yourself like an action-packed film that doesn't, now in hindsight, does not seem in the traditional sense, then this is for you. Um, I don't know when this episode is going to air, but if it's anytime past February 16th, it should be on Netflix for by right now. Because last I saw it was going to be on Netflix. So The Woman King, great film. We got to see it in the Dolby. Even better there. Yeah. Very good film. I agree with, I think Lashana Lynch was definitely my, my high point. But yeah, it's just such a well crap. You think that at least the technical stuff would have been a slam dunk at the Oscars and yeah. nada. Yeah. I think it's really cool that Viola Davis is leading an action movie. And like, it's a historical action movie, but especially like, she went from Ma Rainey to this. That's, yeah. that's um, a flex. I recall she, re- she led Suicide Squad. <laughs> Lead, uh, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't get to kick ass in Suicide Squad like she does here. So let's let's also say that Maria Bello uh, produced this slash wrote it also, which is like what? Yeah, <laughs> I saw in the opening credits and I was like, what? Yeah, like is there another Maria Bello out there? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's really good stuff. All right. 
I believe we have approached the top three. Dun, dun, dun. I will lead us off with my number three, which is After Sun. Um, A24 movie directed by Charlotte Wells. Um, it's Wells' debut narrative feature. Um, she should be up for best director everywhere, honestly, I think. Uh, it is a story of Sophie, who is a 10-year-old, um, played by Frankie Corio, who is excellent here. And she goes on a vacation with her dad to Turkey, um, who's played by Paul Mescal. Um, Oscar-nominated Paul Mescal. That was another great moment of nomination for me. But this film, okay, so I've seen a lot of films that bring me to tears as I'm watching them. This one brought me to tears after I finished it because um, it sat with me for like 15 minutes. And I honestly, I did a little bit of reading on like different interpretations. And I was like, oh, my God this wrecks me um i just think it's really interesting to think about how we when you're a child you know and even your whole life you never really fully know who your parents are there are moments of their life and things that they might not share with you or anything it might be that you just never know um and that's kind of the struggle that the lead character sophie is going through here both as a child and as an adult and this is a story about this is essentially about her reflecting on the last time that she saw the man that she knew. Now, whether that means that he died, whether that means that he changed and he wasn't the same, whether that means that they just became distant from each other, we'll never know. But that is what she's grappling with here. Um, there's a whole the film kind of goes back and forth between the telling of the story and um, her kind of shooting her father on a video camera and us kind of realizing that he is very depressed. He's going through some awful things, but he's doing his best to hide it from her. And it flashes forward to this kind of sequence on a dance floor where she's slowly approaching her dad. And without saying what it is, that dance floor and that space factors into the final shot of the movie or one of the final shots of the movie, at least. And just to think about that just completely tears me apart. Um, so this, suffice it to say, it is a very sad movie. At least it left me feeling very sad, but also very reflective. And I think it's a really accomplished debut. I'm really excited to see what Charlotte Wells does next. Also really excited to see what we see from Frankie Corio in the future, because I think she's phenomenal here, as is Paul Mescal. And I absolutely adore this movie. I'm glad this movie gave us Paul Mescal. He's so good to look at in this movie. <laughs> I, Christian and I had a talk recently, and Christian was like, I think he's kind of ugly. And I was like, I think he's ugly in the hot way. And then I won't continue because I think I'll get in trouble with Christian. What he said after that. Um, wait, now I have to go look. Oh my God, wait. Keep talking. I didn't say to stop. Okay. Um, anyway, aside from. Um, oh yeah <laughs> anyway i liked it i it didn't impact me in the same way and i think you saying the fact that there's a hidden life to our parents we don't know as children is something that kind of impacted me in that second because i'm like oh I, there's nothing my parents ever hid from me they were open about everything and god damn i wish they had a secret life <laughs> 
Um, so maybe that's why I didn't relate to it. I don't know. Um, yeah, I was just like, I liked it, and I could see what people were getting out of it. It just didn't impact me in the same way. Yeah, I think for me, it's also like my parents lived a whole life before, not a whole life, but a big part of their lives before me. And I couldn't, um, I couldn't witness any of that with them. So like that, that too, like there's that part of them before me that I, I don't know fully, never will know fully. Cause I wasn't there with them. That's kind yeah, of, there's still plenty to too. learn about your parents, even though you don't think about how much there is to learn. Cause your parents lived and it depends on how, when they had you, but like 20 years, 20, 30 years before you were even around and right. they won't have the time to tell you about every single thing they did. <laughs> Um, uh, my thoughts on this are, I, I'm going to need a rewatch because whatever Brett said, I did not get, that's what the movie was trying to do nor say the ending shot only last week. I looked up what it meant and that kind of turned me on to asking myself, Hey, see this again. So have it on the screen or definitely we'll take a look at it before the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally get that because I was the same. Like I had ideas, but then like I, I'm not gonna lie, I'll be straight up honest. Like I read up on the movie and like read and turned it, and that like I already really enjoyed it, but that turned into me loving it um, and what it was going for. So I totally get that completely. Yeah. All right, Zay, let's hear your number three. My number three was mentioned earlier. It is Marcel. Michelle with shoes on. A small film with a giant heart. And tiny shoes. And tiny shoes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Toby, you're number three. Um, my number three is Glass Onion. which A I'm small to... film with a giant heart. <laughs> which I am going to like. Christian. He's going to let me do this because Glass Onion is my number three. So it worked out perfectly. Okay, so this is the follow-up to 2019's Knives Out. This is subtitled A Knives Out Mystery. Just call it Glass Onion. Just it's That's what it is, okay? So Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig, is back to solve yet another mystery, um, this time with a cast of Edward Norton, Dave Bautista, Janelle Monet, Kate Hudson, Catherine Hahn, Madeline Klein, Leslie Odom Jr., Jr., <laughs> Jr., and Jessica Henwick. So if you know anything about the first Knives Out, it's a comedy murder mystery. Same situation going on here. I don't want to give away anything because I don't know if a lot of people have still seen this. Probably, though. Uh, it's fun. It's exciting. It's thrilling. Lots of twists and turns. We had were we had the chance to see it in the theaters when it played for the week, and we took that opportunity. It was packed. Netflix made a huge mistake there. I really loved it. Um, I was just as enthralled as I was with the first one, or the excuse me, Knives Out itself. I still love Knives Out. I think more than this. If this does indeed turn into a good old franchise, I'm all for it. I love this. It makes me want to read a lot more mystery books now. This for this year. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's a movie too that I'm super interested in looking at called The Last of Sheila, which uh, has a direct inspiration from this, just fun fact, which is written by Stephen Sondheim, who also plays a small role in this feature. Won't tell you how, but it's nice, RIP. Anyway, Ryan Johnson directs it again, and it's on Netflix. 
definitely check it out. Should have got a lot more talk about it, especially that of Janelle Monae's character um, and her performance. And I teach her cousin, and I work alongside her cousin. So I just want to throw that out there. Jealous, haha. Like her cousin is literally one of my students. Yes, I, I mean, this was really great. Um, I like how it, uh, I like the story though, because it doesn't feel like the same thing. It's its own thing. It feels like the same, you know, universe, but the story is different enough that, you know, you still get the same feeling I felt from this one that I did the Knives Out and a great cast. So that's why it's my number three. It's in my top 20. I liked it a lot. Uh, great to see it in the theater was nice. Um, sat close enough to someone's mom that during one of the first scenes, she's like, oh, that's Yo-Yo Ma. And I'm like, well, I would not have been able to identify that man as Yo-Yo Ma. So thank <laughs> you, random woman who told me that was Yo-Yo Ma. Um, yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun to see with a big audience. And Netflix was like, I don't think we want to make money. And I'm like, you fucking idiots, whatever. Um, but yeah, I liked it a lot. And I rewatched it when it came to Netflix. And it still held up really well. So, good. And I agree with the Janelle Monet thing. That Honestly, I think she was... If she they put her for Best Actress, I think it would have been more fitting. And I think she had a better chance of getting in. Well... Did she, though, because that small, well, that small film with the giant heart? Regardless, uh, she's at least for the Christian Awards. Uh, she will be in mine. But... She, she is on my personal actress, lead actress list. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like you, I do think she is a lead in this. But yeah. And that's how I feel Good. like all yeah. of these. That's why I feel like all these should be like Daniel Craig and then co-lead actress. So Janelle on the Armas. Armas, yeah. Also, there is a certain cameo I will not spoil, but when you see um, him pop up like right in, in the middle of the movie, the, my whole audience just like was so happy to see him. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is my number eleven of the year, so. It was extremely close to getting in. Um, I agree. I I think it's just as good as Knives Out. Um, I probably prefer Knives Out just a little more just because of the whole familial thing that was going on with that movie. But um, it's it's so good. The cast is wonderful. Ryan Johnson, kind of like Matt, Ryan Johnson is just kind of awesome. Like comes onto the scene like big time with Looper, which is this cool like original sci-fi completely like reinvent star wars and make star wars fanboys hate him that's a cool thing to do and then he um, loves the ship you know what bug him um then he makes like these two he reinvents in a way the murder mystery with you know these two films and on top of that the guy's married to karina longworth so guys doing I really well. i really want to see poker face the the I show he's i've been hearing only good things about it same yeah I also got to see us in a theater, by the way. So, yeah, that was cool. Is what? I also got to see this in a theater. Oh, you... <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said... My brain said, 
<laughs> that you said I got to see his centipede, and I'm like, yeah. hold on, oh, when did that leak? Arena. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> oh wow. Forty. There's the real knives out mystery. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Christian, that was your number three, right? Yeah, so I'm done okay. for that one. All right. Well, going on to my number two, it's one that Zay mentioned earlier. It is decision to leave. Um this one. Yeah, really kind of threw me for a loop as well, just with the way the narrative goes and um, the relationships in the film. Parquet Il and Tang Wei are the two leads in this. And, you know, it's the story of this insomniac detective who is trying to figure out this murder case. And the main suspect for a while is Tang Wei's character. And what I really loved about this film in particular, I think is just the direction and the choices made by Park Chan-wook. Um, similar to Charlotte Wells, I think he's one that we should see his name everywhere in director lineups because his work here is phenomenal. I really like how he kind of switches point of view throughout, throughout the movie, especially between the two leads. And it's kind of like a, a back and forth chess game between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, although one kind of has an upper hand over the other the whole time. And as it all kind of starts to come together, I just found it really fascinating. Um, yeah, I won't spoil it, but um, just to know that, you know, he has his issues going on. He thinks he's got her figured out, or at least he's trying to figure her, her out. And he can't really do it because she is just in a fascinating, entrancing character. Um, yeah, I really love that that Kate Blanchett gave Tang Wei a shout out um, at the Critics' Choice because she is absolutely phenomenal in this movie. Um, because as an audience member, I feel I feel the mystery with her as much as the lead character does. And that is really impressive. So awesome. It, it's my type of movie, too. It's a it's a mystery that's the, the turns. The twist turns aren't even that extreme. It's just that they're fascinating. So I really loved it. This was also my first Park Chan-wook film, admittedly. So definitely need to check out more of his stuff. This wasn't my first, but it was the one that I think now I get it what he wants to do with film so I want to go back to all the ones I saw before that I didn't like as much as this um because the only one before this I actually liked was um The Handmaiden Mm. um that one's a good one but it didn't quite hit me um but I think I would like it a lot more now among his other films but anyway specifically Decision to Leave really love this I love, like, it's got so many things going on at the same time, and it all mixes together really well. And I think at its at center, there's a lot of, like, morality here, and how it's trying to, like, like, trying to be, like, looking at it from a black and white perspective, but also, like, the more clear, like, morality is not black and white perspective, and... Yeah, I think that's what I think um, really dug into the most and just how the two characters are connected so passionately but at the same time there's something dragging both of them away from each other that is just so it's just excellent storytelling from the script 
to the cinematography. Mm. Um, of course, the acting, all of it just comes together so well. And I love this movie so much. Yeah. Yo, we didn't see it. That's it. Want to, though. Want to, though. Have the screener. As Brett knows, we have the screener. We just never got around to it, unfortunately, because I really wanted to see it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth the watch. This is another one where the ending of the movie blew me away. Like, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they went there. So I'm not going to reveal it. I'm just going to say I can't believe they went there. So it's really good. All right, Zay, let's hear your number two. Um, my number two, I believe, is a small film with a giant heart. It is everything, everywhere, all at once. That is a small bagel with a giant heart. <laughs> and everything. <laughs> Bagels famously having hearts. <laughs> <laughs> Bagels have holes. <laughs> and any hole is a goal. Any hole? <laughs> oh gosh all right toby let's hear your number two um my number two is um spoiler alert starring jim parsons and ben aldridge it is based on the book which i won't say the title of well i guess it will spoiler alert the hero dies at the end so it's like a it's a the sad movie um, but what gets me about the movie is the two lead performances and um, the chemistry that they have. So you really get to see them form this relationship that um, it feels so real and you just you get to see these two people bond. And then it's not even a perfect one because by the end, they're not even really together, but um, spoiler alert. <laughs> some stuff happens and yeah the last scenes with jim parsons are what really kind of elevated it for me personally because those just it's just uniquely done so i don't want to spoil what happens at the in those last scenes but the performance there is something i wouldn't expect from somebody like jim parsons <clears throat> all i can say one bazinga <laughs> And two, I never thought I would like Jim Parsons in anything. And I loved him so much in this that after much thought and consideration, he is my leading actor performance of 2022. Yeah. So much like what Toby said, this was one of three movies. And actually those three movies are all on my list that actually made me cry when we saw them in theaters. Um, I don't know, this... The book, even reading the book, it made me cry because I knew what was coming because we saw the film and then I read the book and everything. So the book was hard enough to read, um, let alone sitting through this, as you two now know, because evidently you saw this, which is nice. Awesome. But uh, Jim Parsons and Aldridge are just incredible in this and just going through their story and the highs, the lows, the super lows. And then, of course, everything that happens with this. So and it's also a Christmas movie, which I really liked. When we saw this, it was literally us and four other people in that theater. So I was worried that this would go into obscurity. I'm so glad that Peacock now has this on there. I think everybody should see it. I don't think probably a lot of people are going to love it as much as we did. 
because this was just a surprising movie. I mean, the trailer did not do much for me. I will say the trailer, the most it did was me going, oh, Sally Field. So that was like the big draw to see it <laughs> just for her. I'll tell you what. So she's in this too. She's great. Um, but no, just it's incredible. It's incredibly sad and incredibly moving too. So there you go. What's it, the normal heart? Is that what the title I'm thinking of? Yes, also with Jim Parsons. Yeah, I saw him in that, and that was the first time I was like, oh, he can actually act. Even though I was aware good. of him as a stage actor. And he's good in The Boys in the Band, too. But this is like, that, that one to me, personally, to. he's above and beyond in this one. Yeah, oh, well, yeah because... Yeah. yeah, he does so much in that last scene, and it's like, it hits you like, it's like one of those moments where you're like, wow, that just happened. I mean, I don't know. And of course, with me going through, this is the same guy who I've been hating on for all <laughs> these years for this fucking TV show I can't stand. We'll see. It was a normal heart. And then I saw uh, Ryan Murphy's Hollywood. And then I was like, oh, I hate him all over again. <laughs> <laughs> and then coming back to this, I was like, okay, here we go. Good acting. Um but yeah, I liked it a good amount. I think the only problem I had was that it's the same issue I always have when it's like made from a book is they're trying to keep too much from the book. And it was like the first part where they're trying to set up the relationship and then it's immediately jumps forward so many years. And I'm like, I think you could have like rearranged this. So we're just like kind of like at the end of the relationship and see where we went from there. I don't know. That's what I think. I just thought doing all that at the beginning was a little much for me. But other than that, I really liked, like, I thought it was very, like, the emotional beats were very good. I think it works very well as a romantic drama. And I, it got me, got me a little weepy. I didn't cry, but I got weepy. Um, so, yeah, overall, very good. Very good. Yeah, I agree with a lot of it. I I have the the same things they said about like the, the plotting and whatnot and whatnot. I, I tend to agree with that. Um, yeah, my Jim Parsons journey is pretty similar. Not a fan of the Big Bang Theory at all. I think it's one of the most unfunny comedies ever. And that's. Grand well, that's because my... you just don't you don't get it. You have to be smart to. like. Yeah, that right, right. I, true. Oh, my God. Are you a fan? <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> But no, Zay, like you said, my next introduction to Jim Parsons was the Hollywood show. And I was like, this guy's awful. Um, boys in the bands. It was like, oh, I could give Jim Parsons another chance. And I agree. I, I think he's excellent here. Um, I forgot he was in the boys in the band. But yeah, I like the boys in the band, too. But he's the lead. I always think of like, Robin DeJesus and all the yeah. other people. Like Jim Parsons. Right. They're the standouts. Yeah. DeJesus is the standout in that movie. So, yeah. But um yeah, once again, the the ending, even though you kind of know what's coming, it 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 did it hit me. Um especially that, you know, just the way that they take it. Um the little bit that they throw in there. Um like when it's like almost a fake out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so good. Exactly. Like and then like the Great whole like choice. since we said it, the whole like TV production of it all like the way that that worked out. Um it really connected to the character too. Of who he was, or yeah, of who he is. He's still there. He's yep. still out. And I think because of me, I spoil a lot of things for myself. I knew it was going to happen. Toby did not know it was going to happen. 
And it reminded you of that movie that we watched called Hold the Man from Australia, where that takes oh my God. a completely different direction than what you think it's going to be. So between that and this, there are two movies that go in opposite directions and leave you just heartbroken. It's Holding the Man. Holding the Man. What did I say? Hold the Man. <laughs> Whatever. But, oh, yeah. Holding the Man. That movie broke me. I was just like, I don't want to watch a movie ever again. <laughs> I can't trust gays anymore. <laughs> did you just say that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I had a feeling it was going to happen, obviously, because of the trailer. But I'm glad the resident straight boy Brett could watch this. I begged I did. to watch it. Well, no, you told me the release day on Peacock, and you said, by the way, for Christian Awards. And I was like, totally. Oh, I'm it. I'm going to stuff that ballot for this movie. <laughs> for your consideration in leading actor. <laughs> All right. Well, Christian, let's hear your number three. Or number two, sorry. My number two is, oh, God, wait. Oh, yeah, there it is. Um, it is Marcel, the shell with shoes on. Finally, a movie all of us loved except Brett, I guess. Evidently. Okay. I gave so, four stars. That's not enough. All right. So, <laughs> Mar Marcel, the shell, Till, spoiler alert. Those are the three movies that made me cry in the theater. Okay. So, Marcel, the shell is based on the short films of Marcel, the shell, directed by Dean Fleischer Camp and starring Jenny Slate as the titular Marcel. And basically, it is the story about a shell who is looking for his family. He lives in a house with his grandma, Connie, voiced by Isabella Rosalini, who put that woman in a voice role. She's in, oh, what's that movie you like? Plaza Monster. Yeah, um, the hamster. As the hamster in that. So that reminds me of that. Like, her voice is beautiful. Love it. But anyway, so it's, it's like semi-quasi-documentary slash animated feature. Um... But just about the the life of this little guy, this little shell with shoes on. The big point is he's trying to look for his family and his friends. They're all gone. They're all missing. So he becomes an internet celebrity after that. And just things happen. And it's very uplifting and very hopeful. I don't know. I loved it. Um, the little quote that I put on my review of this on Letterboxd was him saying, guess why I smile? Uh, because it's worth it. Like, that's so fucking cute from him and beautiful. And Toby got this movie for me for Christmas because A24 is gatekeeping it. And you can only buy it on their website. But at the same time, he got me a little Marcel figurine. And it comes with, like, a box. You have to put a quarter in it and a match and a popcorn kernel to keep him, like, nice and comfy in the box. So this is – it's a heartwarming movie. Um it's not streaming anywhere. I think it is. No, it was on Hulu last I checked. I'm pretty sure it's still on there. So definitely watch it and go to YouTube, watch the shorts as well. How could you not love a little shell with shoes on? Yeah, Brett. Trying to find his family. It is not on streaming. Um, at least it's not Um. But I also really love this movie. I also, I love, I I I loved the very unique experience I had, um, where I think I got to see this before everyone else because it was like a little premiere at like the in Indiana Film Festival we had, um, 
but it was like a packed house and I was sitting next to this lady. I was by myself. Um, and I just remember she was crying at one point and then later on, like within like 10 minutes later, I was like, I was crying at a whole nother thing. And I think it's just that kind of movie where you could find yourself crying at different moments. Um, which I think she was crying over a sad part. I was crying over a happy part because that's how I work. I usually cry over very happy points in movies. Who that that end of Paddington gets me every time. That's a movie. I if I need to cry, I'm gonna go to Paddington too. Um, but yeah, very good. I this has to be the first movie nominated for best animated feature to have this much live action in it. Because yeah. I can't think of like any other example. Which is shocking that they would put there wasn't much conversation over this being animated versus live action, but with Apollo ten and a half, they were like, dumb. oh no, straight not not animated. That was so I mean, I'm glad that Marcel is considered animated. I, I think it deserves it. But like the fact that they did that whole thing with Apollo, that was so stupid. Anyway, sorry. But yeah, um, very good. Again, yeah, Isabel Rossellini, mm, so good. Uh, never have I seen a movie in which the protagonist vomits, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just so many good things in this movie, and you can, it's just something where you could tell everything that was put into it was just a lot of care was put into it. And the big, yeah. like, I won't spoil the ending, but the big moment at the end. I was like on the theater, like I mean the trailer. Oh, this the, makes the, sense. The trailer kind of spoils it, which looking back, I'm like, whatever. I guess it doesn't matter overall, but it's amazing. It's amazing. I, if it's not on your top ten list, then you're, I don't know, you just hate life or something. You should be fired from your podcast. Should I mean who doesn't hate life? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> You have a point. You have a point. <laughs> he has shoes on. Okay, he has shoes. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah, it didn't make my top ten, but it was good. I, I, I liked did, it. Did I force you to go see this though? Didn't I like? I basically said if you didn't go see it, I would throw myself off like a roof. I or something. believe so. Yeah, because I went to okay. Screenland to see it. Um, yeah, I, I will like. Like you said, Zay, the, the viewing experience is really cool because my audience was like range the spectrum of age. Like there were little kids there. There were older folks there and everybody in the theater seemed to be enjoying it and like laughing and some crying and, and things like that. So um, I do think it's it's one of the most overall like likable movies out there from the year that that most people are going to enjoy. So. It is really good, even though it's not in my top 10. I'm sorry. All right. So now we are moving on to our number ones. It's the final count. See, you got to stop at a certain point or you're going to get sued. <laughs> you're right. Because Europe is looking. They're listening to podcasts, waiting, just waiting to get that little extra money. And as we're talking, Beyonce has set the Grammy record, by the way. What did she win? Best, it said like best music album, not music album. Oh, dance electronic album. Dance electronic album, yeah. 
Okay. All right. So my number one, I, Zay, Zay said it when I saw it. it it's a Brett movie. Um, it was my number oh, one okay. year when I saw it, and it's it's pretty firmly held on to that spot. It is the Banshees of Any Sharon. Oh, my God. I wait get it. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. You're telling me this whole... Wait, okay, because I shouldn't have known this because I've seen your list. But at the same time, there's one movie, three letters long, little tilde on top of a certain letter. It's funny you say that because I, I thought about faking you out with that. I thought about faking out with Tara. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not, it won't. I didn't think it would land, but... I've had to go through so much shit with you over that movie that now we don't even get to talk about it at nauseum. It, it may show up in my honorable mentions. We can discuss and I've never used the like phrase you. at nauseum before. I don't even know if I'm using it right. Now, as much as you stock my letterbox, you should know that I give that film four and a half stars. Why would it be my number one? Over That's, my high movies? That's high enough. That's high enough. Just talk about the damn Irish movie. Yeah. All right. Yeah, the Banshees of Mini Sharon. I I totally get why this film doesn't work for some people, but it totally worked for me from the get go. Um, I love Colin Farrell just in general as an actor. I same goes for Brendan Gleeson, and I think they work tremendously off each other here. Um, honestly, I've never seen In Bruges, so I don't have that background that a lot of people had of them like doing that and then reuniting with Martin McDonough for this. Um, I just loved how the film worked between the two of them and their characters. You know, I, cause at the beginning I totally get Colin Farrell and the situation his character is going through with Gleason's. But for a while there, I was like, I kind of get what Gleason's saying too. Like sometimes we have people in our lives that, you know, maybe we don't really enjoy. And it's like, why waste our lives with people we don't enjoy being around? Um, I don't mean anything by that. <laughs> just throwing that out <laughs> <laughs> no but oh as the film goes on the caption the little tag for this episode all will be revealed no <laughs> but but as the film goes on i side much more with Farrell's character um and because the film does go to absurdities and that's part of the reason i like it um but there's a point where Colin Farrell has this moment. It, it's his Oscar speech. It's he's talking about, you know, Gleason is saying nobody remembers people for being nice. And Colin Farrell says, Well, I remember my mom and she was nice. I remember my dad, he was nice. I'm always going to remember my sister and she's nice. And that just like really kind of hit me. It's like, you know, maybe it's not about, you know, people who want to go and be remembered. Maybe it's not about being remembered by the masses. It's about making an impact on people in your life. Um, and it's interesting to see how this film takes external factors that play into that and drive a wedge into that for Farrell's character. Um, Farrell is my personal lead actor of the year. I think he's just phenomenal here on both comedic and dramatic levels. Uh, the other star of the movie for me is actually Carrie Condon, who kind of came out of nowhere with this role. And I think she's pretty fantastic. Um, I also really love Barry Keegan here, or Keoghan, however you say his name. Um, he, in fact, I probably perform a little bit over Gleason when it comes to the supporting category. He has that scene with Carrie Condon that is just really heartbreaking, but of course he has all these funny moments as well, but I get it. The comedy doesn't work for everybody. I laughed multiple times. 
Um, the way it goes kind of extreme doesn't work for anybody. I kind of laughed at that too and, and kind of dug it. Um, but the ending was really poignant as well, kind of like um, with some other films we talked about where it kind of ends on that disheartening note. But I really enjoyed uh, the journey to getting there. Um, and Jenny, may she ever forever live in our hearts. So that's all I have to say about that. That donkey made me believe in cinema again. Um, but I, I'm on the fence, not the fence. I guess I am favorable towards this movie. I, I agree. I laughed a lot. Um, except that weird gay panic joke that was in there for like a minute and a half. And I was like, what are we doing? What is this? Anyway, um, I disagree about Carrie Condon. I was just like, I don't think she, I don't think she's given enough in this movie for her to be substantial. That's my thing. I, I, I do think she's doing a good job. I just don't understand the high amount of praise. That's just mm. me. Disagree with you I, and Christian. It feels like she's the one female role in the movie, and therefore they felt like they also needed to give her a nomination. I, I don't know. And in a year where there's so many best supporting actress noms we could have given out, that was not the one for me, but that's neither here nor there. I think it's kind of a weak year in that regard, but that's just me. That's because you hate women. No. Anyway. Well, except I, never mind. I could fill a whole category with women talking and woman king, so I can't say I shouldn't say that. But there we go. Anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, the hot cast, we've got Colin Farrell and Barry Keoghan. Mm. Remember them in The uh, Sacred Life of the Deer? Wildly erotic. Anyway, that, that's my oh, That pic, that picture that's on the internet. But did you guys see the video of Colin Farrell? It's like a twink in like that, like, like Speedo or whatever. That was insane. Anyway, this is a great award season. <laughs> with him and talking with Emma Thompson, that was great. Anyway, that's not about the movie. Um, the movie, I think, I found it very funny. I laughed a lot. My problem came when what everyone on it, online was talking about the, the genius of it, like comparing it to the Irish Civil War and was like, this is what the movie's really about. And I'm like, I don't I think that's too on the nose and that's why I don't like it. Yeah. I, I get what you mean. I think people are putting too much stock into that. I think that's just backdrop. I don't think it's meant to be the primary driving force behind. I think it is though, because they mention it enough in the movie. Well, it takes place in 1923 Ireland. So it would feel. But that's very off if they didn't mention it. Well, it didn't have to take place in 1923 Ireland. Hmm. That, that they're just like making very obvious parallels between their relationship and the Irish Civil War. Yeah. And that's where I was like, it's like, even while watching the movie, that's what was coming to me. And I was like, I that's too on the nose for me for it to be truly brilliant. And that's where like, kind of like drove between me. But everything else, without thinking of that context, I liked it. I have no particular strong feelings either way. I mean, when we were sitting there, I thought it was like fine enough. I mean, I don't know. I like I said, I just I guess I don't have any particularly strong feelings either way. There are good aspects to it. Like, I mean, I don't. I think Carrie Condon is a good part of it, but it's, I mean, it's not like award worthy. It's like, yeah, it's a good part of it. I mean, I like when she leaves and, oops, 
didn't mean to spell that, but um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> when we saw this, I thought to myself, I might like this. I don't The second that the old people in our screening would not stop laughing at things that did not seem funny to me, I was checked out. Never got back on it. It's not my cup of tea. That's in it. In the words of Spike. Like, um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad to rewatch it. Maybe something will click. It's fine movie. I'm not saying I hate it. It's fine. It's cute. Yeah. It's, cute. it's the comedy is not. I think that the old people in our screening were just bullshitting themselves. I don't know. That's it. I couldn't stop say, saying feckin'. Feckin'. in my head for days. Damn movie. it. I meant to lead with that and I completely forgot it. <laughs> yeah. No, I do get. I I actually agree with you, Zay. Though I I don't think that Irish Civil War stuff is brilliant by any means. I that's not what makes the film. I I just don't mind it, but I think the characters are what makes it brilliant for me. The donkey is what the makes donkey. it brilliant for me. That's a supporting actress. <laughs> yes. This was a good year for donkey actors. Between this and EO, like that movie wasn't great either. But it wasn't the donkeys. Eo was very good. Or the the nine don six nine doc however many was that played Eo were all very good. I do want to say we haven't seen Eo yet, but some of you decided not to put a spoiler alert on it on your letterbox review. So I was spoiled by a famous star that is in the film that I did not know. Well, I don't know that so exactly. So be quiet. Don't say who it is because she's in all the trailers. If it's in the trailer, it's not a spoiler. We have not seen the trailer. You don't have to. Now I know there's a donkey in it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Sorry I spoiled that EO has a donkey. <laughs> That's it. I can forgive it. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Zay, let's hear your number one. My number one. Nope. I will not give you a number one because it is nope. A movie. I mean, Jordan Peele is an institution at this point. I mean, I am at the point where now we got three home runs for me. Okay, it was like two home runs and us is like, and he hit it out of the park still. Like, not two grand slams, one home run. There's baseball. Um, the fact you know baseball jargon is kind of scary. I went, I like baseball games because you get to go. I don't, I like the atmosphere of a baseball game. I don't like baseball itself. I know baseball terminology because of Mario Super Sluggers. <laughs> Mario Super Sluggers is a pretty good game. <laughs> anyway. It's a nope. Nope. Uh, again, uh, I just love that Jordan Peele is giving us original, like, blockbusters i mean it's not just horror at this point he's given blockbuster money to make tentpole features for the cinema um and nope once the trailer dropped that first trailer i don't care about the trailers after that the first trailer was a perfect trailer because it got everyone interested into being like what the fuck is this about we have no idea what this movie's about we're here for it we got kiki palmer we got um fuck 
Oh, it's getting late. Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya, thank you. Oh, what's the hot guy's name? I don't know why I don't have it just pulled up in front of me. Brandon. Oh, Stephen Yoon. Well, him too. Stephen Yoon, though. Mm, that's my man. Stephen Yoon. Back when you said the hot guy and we both went for two different actors in the movie. I was going that way first. And I was like, oh, no, wait. Stephen Yoon's in this, so, yeah. There are two different hot guys in this movie. Um, but no, it's a, just such... There's so many elements to know because I love that Jordan Peele is a maximalist. He has so many ideas and he's going to put all of them in the movie and he's not going to edit a whole lot out. And I get some people aren't into that, but that's my shit. Because I'm like, I don't have to have everything work for me. If you have enough working pieces for me, I'm going to love it. And it really worked with me in Nope. Um, because it's basically about... Oh, my AirPods are dying. It's fine. Um, that basically it takes place in Hollywood. It's about this family who's gone down generation upon generation of working on just Hollywood horses, horses working in film and TV. And they're next to this other ranch owned by Stephen Yoon's character, who is a former child star, who's now banking on that with his own theme park. And it's just like in this deserty area where now just fucked up shit's happening. And they're like, I don't know what's happening. Shit's going wrong. Um, and of course, I don't think it's spoiler to say at this point, it's aliens. Some sort of alien, whatchamacallit. Um, and it's just a fun ride. Like, the, like, especially when you go in the first time, you're just like, oh, is this the movie's vibe? Is this the movie's vibe? Is that the monster? Is that the monster? Like, the first 30 minutes, you're trying to figure out what they're going to throw at you. And it's just like, keeps going back and forth. And I think Jordan Peele's working to that advantage so hard. Um, and... What I glommed onto really well was his like major thesis in the middle, basically about how we're so fascinated with animals and trying to get them to do things on screen when an animal is never going to act because it doesn't know how to act like we do. And so, and even like, even adding document, like we have a documentarian coming in and how even documentaries that's only real life to a certain point. Because even then, you're there watching it. Therefore, you're an element changing nature. And so it's just about how we as people trying to capture nature animals on camera to try and basically make them immortal in the same way we're trying to make ourselves immortal when we are on film. And I just think that's so interesting that he just threw that all in there and I don't know it's something I think about because I'm like I'm very into animal movies mm -hmm. I'll watch any of them even though I know most of them are crap but I'm just like that animal is on the screen and it's acting it doesn't know it's acting but it's doing a good job yeah don't tell that to the dog oh sorry go ahead no you first I was gonna say don't tell that to the dog on love on a leash but um <laughs> No, uh, Nope was my number four of the year. I, yeah, same. Jordan Peele is just a perfect three for three for me. He's absolutely incredible. And watching this one, it felt like I was watching like 
a classic Spielberg or something like that. Like I imagine like, you know, people who maybe went and saw Close Encounters for the first time in theaters, they probably felt something similar to what I'm feeling right now watching this, even though they're, they're very different films. Don't get me wrong. Um, but just the atmosphere of it and the sense of awe and wonder into what's going on screen and how amazing it looks. Um, Cause the movie is kind of a visual wonder as well, but yeah, I just think there's so many different things that you can pull out of this movie and, and you know, interpret it however you want to. And, and what all these things that Peel is trying to to say, or maybe trying to say, but it never, ever feels convoluted in any way. Um, yeah. And that's what makes him great as a filmmaker, as a screenwriter. Um, the final shot of this movie is badass. Like it is a cool final shot. Like it ended and I was like clapping just because of the way it ended and um, whatnot. I've obviously had a lot of movie things I love this year, but that one, just the shot itself was pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Kiki Palmer, another one who was like, weirdly put in supporting throughout award season even though she's clearly a lead um but yeah she's awesome here the 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 chemistry between her and kaluuya is really kind of unique and awesome because they are such different personalities in the movie but you totally feel the love there um regardless so it's definitely a sibling chemistry that they built that i love yeah um i also want to it was a similar marcel the shell moment of i watched it with my partner and my partner found a very specific fear that they have that happens in the movie involving Gordy. <laughs> um, for people, you know, not to spoil, but um, and mine was more so during um the the roundup uh, that mm. major. So that was like I was like I have never seen anything like that, and I'm freaked the fuck out right now. Yeah. Well, I think it's awesome. Like. Uh... You know Jordan Peele's that he's only done three movies, but you're already like at the point where it's like, what's he gonna do next? You know, and like nope, like you said, Brett, it's like you can watch it over and over again and get something different, and that's what makes it so like such a good um movie. Like that's what good filmmakers do—they make movies that <laughs> you know you can watch and think about. I liked it. I need to see it again because we saw it in the summer twice, like within a week of each other. So it's been a while, but I really liked it. Um, I like just the way it looks and the, it like the roundup scene that Zay was talking about, the eeriness of that. It's like that one particular scene, my personal sound winner for the year mm-hmm. um, is the terrifying aspect of all that. Um, and then the first barn sequence, like the audience, the first audience we were with, that we were, everybody was like, oh, yeah. That was good. That was so good. It, it's, it is overall good. Yeah. Oh, and it's on Peacock too. Very nice. All right. Toby, let's hear your number one. My number one is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. A massive film with a huge heart. Because my number one, my number one is also everything, everywhere, all at once. Brett, it's my number ten. Yes, and Zay, it was my number two. There you go. So, but yeah, I mean, I think we all know what it's basically about at this point. I mean, it's like a multiverse kind of movie about a um, woman who runs a laundromat with her husband. 
and her daughter who um, is coming to visit. Uh, I mean, it's just like, I don't even know how, like you, it's one of those movies where you don't even know how to describe it because of the way it blends so many different genres in the performances also to do that because Michelle Yeoh and this is just like, like a rebel, like it's just like a masterclass in like how to be like this action star that also gives like these really emotional performances that, you know, are kind of flashy, but at the same time, it's like, she's, she is who she is. Like she's this Chinese um, immigrant who's just trying to get through life um you know navigating it with her her husband and her daughter and dealing with all this and the tax audit i don't know i'm trying to say a lot at once but yeah i was blown away by it the second time we watched it for sure uh, the first time i really liked it but the second time was what really kind of solidified it for me the second time i got it yes that's how i would describe that like i got it this is one that if you saw it in theaters you were honestly lucky to see it in theaters it's one of those like honestly breathtaking things. Um, yeah, Michelle Yeoh, Kiwi Kwan, Stephanie Shu, Jamie Lee Curtis, James Hong, like the list. There's even more. There's like Jenny Slade, Harry Shum Jr., Raka Cooney, all great. Um, voiced by Randy Newman. Voiced by Randy Newman. We love that. So this is it's great. Michelle Yeoh, in my opinion, and Kihei Kwan. And Stephanie Shu, the actress, supporting actor and supporting actress of the year for me. So the three of them, the film, my number one. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think that da the Daniels came from making Swiss Army Man, which Zay knew me back in 2016 when that came out. That's a terrible film. Like, I don't like that movie at all. And now to this where it's like an, a masterpiece. And I try to get my parents to watch it. They will not watch this movie. They thought it was so weird. They didn't understand it, but they got like 10 minutes into it. So who knows? One day. So that's all I can say. It's great. I can't wait to see it again. I disagree. Swiss Army Man is a great movie. No, and it's not. Agreed. It's great. Weird. It's in the same camp as Napoleon Dynamite. Of oh, see? Yeah. Masterpieces yeah. Christian doesn't get. Yeah. <laughs> who else doesn't like Napoleon Dynamite? Me either. I don't like Swiss Army Man either. Ugh. Okay, but when do your opinions really differ? Not that often. <laughs> Not that often. <laughs> and it, it's like really. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is honestly, I was going back and forth of, I don't know if Nope or Everything Everywhere All at Once is my favorite. Um, I've now, I've seen Nope twice. I've seen Everything Everywhere All at Once three times. Uh, I literally just watched it last night because my theater is showing it. It was is like re showing it now, and it was like sold out too. And it was like that's so cool that people just love this movie so much that that literally I didn't I'm like in like the trenches in this theater and just know like the ins and outs and like the first like run of them showing everything everywhere all at once was like exceedingly like their best-selling movie so i just love that it's like a very little movie that could that it just kept climbing and climbing in a way that movies don't anymore um but yeah i it's just 
I'm a sucker for any movie that's like hanging on its thesis of just being love is what we need. Love is what makes the universe like it's the center of the universe and that's what we're going around because we as humans don't have much but at least we have love and i that's very good for me so yeah and it's just yeah it's got so many working components it's hilarious it like there's just so many small things like (laughs) jamie lee curtis just sucking up that like nutrition shake (laughs) such a good small thing that like gets me so good and i'm like no she deserved the oscar nomination you people are just mean thank you i agree you you can't watch her with hot dog fingers being a lesbian with michelle yo in that wig and just be like no i don't believe (laughs) a fun fact even without noticing i have her same look that i sometimes wear at school The color of her sweatshirt, I have a sweater, right? And the color of her pants, and I match it. And every time I wear it, I'm like, oh, god damn. I guess I'm <laughs> like for the month or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to, yeah, to go off that, any film Twitter folks that might be listening, be nice to Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, because when you like look back at this, it's going to be like, wow, the Academy really nominated a performance like that. Yes, exactly. And Stephanie Shu got in too. So, you know, that's, that's not an issue anymore. Um, you know, so, yeah. So what happened with me with this movie, um, kind of similar to Christian and Toby, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is really good. Kind of like the Fablemans. It was like, oh, it's a good four-star movie. Really enjoyed it. And then what happened was I got, you know, to kind of pass the halfway point of the year. And that's typically when I go through and start making my personal awards list. And I got to the end and I was like, Okay, so I gave everything everywhere all at once, like 11 nominations. It was my leader, and it's not in my top 10. And that seems wrong to me. So I watched it again, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is great stuff. And so it made it into my top 10. It isn't number 10, but honestly, I can only see it going up over time if it's going to move. Um, it's just, it's really wild to me that a movie about multiverses in 2022 is probably the most original movie of the year. Like that's an accomplishment. Um, yeah. Love all the performances. Um, Kiwi Kwan is one of the coolest stories I've ever seen go through award season. Um, just to see him get showered with praise and be so, you know, adored and him just taking it all and being so thankful. That's really cool. On top of that, you've got Michelle Yeoh finally getting her due. Um, and they're both tremendous. Everybody in the movie, I think is tremendous. You know, even Jenny Slate comes in for a little bit and is hilarious. Um, but yeah, um, the way it just, it, it balances that really heartwarming stuff with some really good actions too. very funny action scenes and a lot of really good comedy. Um, but really the moments between Kiwi Kwan and Michelle Yeoh, especially towards the end, they really, they tug at the heartstrings and they get you um, really well. So yeah, very cool movie, very cool story and narrative behind the movie too. So. Her and Stephanie Hsu, Michelle Yeoh and Stephanie Hsu, the last scene, I don't think it's the last scene, but the scene with them at at the end is like why she should win Michelle Yeoh because it's like, 
this, I don't know, it's like really, you know, a mother-daughter relationship. And what does that, you know, what does that mean? It's, you know, we don't, really, we don't always like each other, but they understand what that means. I will, and that's not, you know. I will unofficially, officially make this one of our Mother's Day movies we watch. Mm. So, Mommy Dearest, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Mildred Pierce, Serial Mom. There you go. We got rotations. Yeah. One other announcement for film Twitter. There's a lot of people going around now because this is the front runner and like giving people shit for being so emotionally connected to this film and like seriously, fuck off. Like you said, like it's one of those so. front runners. So it's like, uh, it's like, no, that's not going to win. It's like the shape of water. Like no, nobody thought that could win, but even though it was like technically the front runner. So it's like the front runner, but like being doubt doubted, I guess. The only thing I have to say, if this does win best picture, don't hate it. Like, because right. there's people who will hate this even if it wins, if it doesn't win. And it, I don't think it's going to go into obscurity at all. No. I will still look at it. Right. It's like, <clears throat> again, Shape of Water Syndrome, where like people were like, ooh, this is cool. This is pretty. And then everybody like, who remembers this movie? Like, I do. I do. Yeah. Zay doesn't because they haven't said anything. So well, I'll, I'll explain what's going on after this episode ends. <laughs> it's commercial right now. No, 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 no. It's a whole other thing. <laughs> all right. Well, there we have it. That's our list. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. Definitely the the big winner between all four of us showing up on all four lists. So, um, deserving of every bit of love it's getting. Let's go ahead and dive into some honorable mentions. Movies that may have just missed our list. And so for these, I kind of went and looked at my 11 through 20, plus a few others that I have specific reasons for including. Um, some of these were already mentioned. Glass Onion, The Fable Men's, um, Apollo 10 and a half. Those are all right there for me. I also really liked The Northman um, from Robert Eggers. He's another one who's three for three for me. Um, Babylon, I know that one is very divisive. It worked for me. Um Vengeance, the debut movie from BJ Novak as a director. Another one. I, I get why people don't like it, but I, I really loved it. Um, Christian's true favorite movie of the year, he just won't admit it, is Tar. Um, and that's definitely on my honorable mentions. <laughs> just kidding. This is... I'm happy. I'm just happy I didn't have to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is our biggest disagreement of the year, for sure. Um... A documentary from Elvis Mitchell called Is That Black Enough for You? Um, kind of like an essay film on uh, black cinema, especially the black exploitation era. Um, the Stranger, which is like a really small movie with uh, Sean Harris and Joel Edgerton that was on Netflix. Nobody watched it, but I thought it was pretty captivating. And a really small documentary called The Loyola Project, which was about a college basketball team that uh, basically broke an unwritten rule for how many black players could be on the floor at the same time and won the national title. So that was really cool doc. And then two others that aren't in my top 20, but I wanted to mention um, Jackass Forever because it's awesome. And also IndieWire named it its 21, number 21 movie of the year. And it's just fascinating to me that they have it ranked higher than I do. That's hilarious. And the, and the Kansas City Film Critics. Yeah, that's true. Best documentary. Did It, did, it was nominated. It, it didn't win, but it was nominated, right? No, it won. Or did it win? Oh, it won. Nice. There was a lot of controversy around it, and we elected it. it. I voted for it. Nice. 
Uh, and last but not least, Hustle for finally getting Sandman a Sagnom. So there we have it. Let's see my honorable mentions. We've got Hatching, a European Finnish horror movie I liked a lot. Um, Happening, a French uh, abortion pro, um, pro-choice film. Very good. It's a lot, but it doesn't end on a bad note, and I think that's what's important about it to me. Uh, Bones and All, really loved it. Uh, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, a delightful movie. Great. Um, Pinocchio is on there. Uh, the Eternal Daughter with um, Tilda Swinton playing dual roles, and her own dog is in the movie. Really good. Um, Barbarian was a f- just a re- like a good like definitely to see in a theater. Good time. And uh, Neptune Frost, a Afro futuristic like uh, musical that I liked a lot. I was also very high when I saw it, and at one point, the <laughs> the the power went out like for half a second, and the screen went to black, and the lights turned on, and I was just like, "Is this part of the movie? Is this <laughs> like some 4D experience?" And then I, later on, I found out it was not, but it, it it enhanced the experience for me. I think. All of those that I have seen are, I agree, are very good. Um, Toby, let's hear some of my honorable mentions. Um, I thought it was a pretty good year for like horror movies. So like I put in a um, Barbarian too because it's pretty, uh, it's pretty wild. And Smile, I also pretty enjoyed a lot. Um, this movie called Moonfall, which is about <laughs> the moon falling to the earth, which was fun. I mean, not bad it's not all. bad at all. It was just fun. Um, I personally liked Don't Worry Darling. I thought it was... Um, it's not bad. Not bad. It's not bad, no. I mean, I, I, it's in my top 20, so I, I mean, I enjoyed it enough. Flo is good. Yes. I also liked the menu. Um, See How They Run with Trisha Ronan was pretty good. Uh, smile. I said with Smile. Oh. Um, Violent Night, which was a um, movie about santa claus uh defeating some home invaders which was also fun so just some just a bunch of fun movies came out last year i think 2022 was a movie a year for movies where i liked i liked a lot of movies and there was you know the ones that i loved there wasn't many of those but there was definitely a lot that i liked a lot so okay didn't think we were gonna do this So I have to go through my complete list here. On top of what you all have mentioned that I've also seen, I did enjoy X. I didn't enjoy Pearl as much, but I liked X, the Ty West film. Okay. Um, A movie called The Outfit with Mark Rylance, which is pretty balls to the walls, kind of crazy. And I liked it a lot. Um, The Lost City with Sandy Bullock. Uh, Let's see. Ambulance, as I like to call it. Like, talk about fucking, like, I was on the edge of my seat. This movie is high paced. Okay. Surprise. Toby did not mention the bad guys, but the bad guys is very good. Um, let's see. Jackass four, which we've already mentioned, uh, buh, 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 going through this list, Jurassic world dominion. I'm joking. No, not really. <laughs> uh, 
Um, the Black Phone, which nobody mentioned. Good year for horror movies. Got to see that with like all my cousins. That was kind of, yeah, that was really good, actually. Miss Harris Goes to Paris is good. What are you pointing at? Which one did you point at? That one, Miss Harris Goes to Paris. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, DC League of Super Pets. The only animated film this year that there was cursing involved. And you know who did it? Natasha Leone. Love it. Bullet Train, a movie everybody hated, but it was so good. Just have I some fun. You know what? Yep. We saw Mouse after we saw it in the theater. So, uh, um, a movie that I kind of rag on, but at the same time, I'm warming up to it. Weirdly enough, you're going to be shocked. Mac and Rita. Okay. It, Zay's laughing. It's a terrible, terrible plot. But, <laughs> like, I don't know. It, it's a small movie with a lot of heart to it. Okay. Diane Keaton is having fun. I love she that gives, for her. She gives no shits. Okay. Um, see how they run. I'm gonna plug that one again because Toby mentioned it. It's actually like if you like comedy mysteries, it's actually really good. And I think it's on HBO it so too. Um, Smile. The one that Zay got us on to watch was Deadstream. Um, a found mm. footage. They know we love found footage, and it, it, really good actually. And it's funny. Wendell and Wild. Nobody talked about that. Um, it's so weird. Out of all the Netflix animated movies. It was like that sea dragon one. Yeah, the sea beast. Oh, yeah. beast. And I was like, why is it not Wendell and Wild or the Apollo 8? And I'm like, I don't know. Pinocchio's it was weird. It was that one out of the three. And Pinocchio. Don't forget Pinocchio. Oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot that was Netflix. Um, The Good Nurse with Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne was very good. She Said was, uh, I thought that was excellent. Spirited, actually a fun movie. I don't know where Brett stands on Spirited. Okay. It's okay. Yeah, he doesn't like having fun there. Um, I don't like Ryan Reynolds. I, I just don't think he's a great actor. I don't know. That makes sense. Underrated movie. The trailer was terrible. Fall. Fall. Oh yeah. Exciting. Surprising. Should have saw it in a theater if we had known it was going to be that good. Okay. Um, Babylon. I'm not like a super super love it. I think it's way too fucking long. But I enjoyed it. Uh, Matilda the Musical, which Zay, Toby, and I loved. Brett thought it was the worst movie he's ever seen. Um, <laughs> the Inspection with the... Uh, God, oh, I forgot names. Oh, that movie. I didn't though. know you'd seen that. I want to see no, that. No, yeah, we saw, we saw it. We saw a screener of it. Pretty good. Um, a movie called Close, which I think got nominated for International. Yeah, okay. That's really good. And Zay, you would really like that. Brett, it's, coming, too. it's coming to my theater, so I'm excited to see it. Oh, good. So broker. it is really good. What? Broker. Broker. Yeah. Oh, oh broker. yeah. Broker is <laughs> really good. We saw that with Brett, didn't we? Uh, and, finally, awesome. and finally, oh, no, not finally. Living. Living with Bill oh. Nye, which we just saw. Very good. And I will end with one. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Blue its predecessor out of the water the animation is beautiful it's kind of scary but i loved it like i loved it so much yeah great choices great call of living like that is a deserved nomination for bill, bill nye so really good. he made yeah. when after we saw it he made my top five for acting so yeah i do want to say is, just one more thing oh sorry go ahead oh is he as good as Nat as he has detective pikachu He's in Detective. Oh, we need to see that again. See, I don't know. <laughs> He's the villain. 
What's his Pokemon? Mewtwo. Oh, yeah. Oh. I said Pokemon. What's his Pokemon? <laughs> but yes, all right. That is our uh, our honorable mentions, our top 10 list. If you haven't seen any of those, definitely go check them out. Um, if you are able to at this time. I know some of them still are kind of making their way around to places. So check those out when you can. Uh, any final thoughts from anybody before we close this out? All right. All right. Well, be sure to tune in. Um, Coming up after this um, will be our 1987 episode, which Zay is on with us. So um, be sure to keep an eye out for that and tune in then. See ya. See ya. See ya. See ya.